from this moment, you are responsible for what happens to her. And if you're looking out for her well-being, I suggest you advise her to pick up the injection gun and bring it to me. Bow's in your court, Hunt. Now he's in the building. Do you copy? Thank you. How do you know he won't shoot you the minute he's got it? Please. One can't hold Naya responsible for our actions. You know, women, mate. Like monkeys they are. Won't let go of one branch till they get a grip on the next. Get it, Naya. I'll cover you. Expect me to talk? Good evening, gentlemen. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to review a god awful Mission Impossible 2. As always, should you or any of your do you expect to talk force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This introduction will self destruct in five seconds. Yes, this is 149 edition of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm your host, Becca, and as always, joined by Chris and Dave. How are you doing? Uh, good evening, folks. I do think you were kind of leading the, leading the witnesses there. <laughs> you've, given, you've given us a mission to review the god. Spoiler alert. I reviewed it. It's god awful. Well, we, That's we it. Good night. Bye. We know what kind of review our bosses are looking for now. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. It's not very good. So I, 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 so I completely missed what Becca said because I was too busy listening to my uh, Limp Bizkit uh, CD. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, seriously, in 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 two thousand, what the fuck were we all thinking? I mean, like they they <laughs> well, were they were the biggest band at that time. It's been easier for Tom Cruise cool. to go and buy a sports car or something, or you know, have an affair with a t- you know <laughs> a woman in her twenties or something. <laughs> this this just. Was... <laughs> There's no. something very, very um, overreaching about putting a load of rock into this, isn't it? it it's what it's what Tom Cruise thinks is cool as a then thirty-eight-year-old man. Well, it's like I said last week. This like this is like Mission Impossible colon uh, midlife crisis. <laughs> really, this is like this is him trying to like yeah, I'm the biggest uh, movie star in the world, and I'm gonna show the world that I am shit hot and I can do this action shit. And the thing that strikes me the most about it is, you know, just going off the poster alone. And if, same when you watch the movie, you, you could like, I mean, we're going to reference Ben Ben Stiller uh, later, I'm sure, but it could easily just be Ben Stiller, and it could be one of them like them films you see in like, in uh, Tropic Thunder. You know what it I mean? Could, yeah, it could, yeah, it could be winner of MTV's Best Kiss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. everything down to like that poster of like of of like the, just just that straight up picture of him and just fire around him yeah and the scar on the cheek yeah and, yeah there was a cup there was one bit towards the end of the film which i'll just in case i forget to say it then I, it made me think of that episode where homer simpson changed his name to uh, max power because he saw a trailer for a tv program and in that trailer some guy who was like a criminal who was clearly out on the floor suddenly came to, waved a gun and fired it at Max Power and Max caught the bullet threw it, and threw it back at him <laughs> to kill him. And I just, it wouldn't have been out of place with this film if that had happened. 
It's that um, kind of film, isn't it? It's that yeah. kind of film. I've got a, 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 a. I won't do it yet, but certainly the, I've got. I spent. I was listening to this score, and all the way through, I was thinking, "What is this reminding me of?" And I don't mean literally the score. Although Chris talking off air, I know it, it made you think of other things, but I don't mean oh, that's a riff from something else. But I just mean, what is this evoking? And I'll get to it a little bit later because the the things this film makes me think of does not complement this film. Um, it could have been so different though because I found the they because it came out in 2000 I, and I, I thought well four years if you w- went straight to a sequel is actually quite a long time so I thought maybe they hadn't thought about it for a couple of years but apparently only a few months after Mission Impossible they were looking for uh, people to write a sequel and the first person they went to was William Goldman now William Goldman you probably know best on screen for all the president's men he plays quite a sizable role in that uh but his screenplays include all the all the all the president's men he wrote butch cassidy and the sundance kid he wrote um well i don't know if he wrote the screenplay of marathon man but it was certainly based on on his work he wrote the uh, again the princess bride uh, there's loads of stuff like that and more if i looked at it i'm trying as again i'm trying not to look at too much but his name is against so many things um and he, you know even da- and he's just very very prolific writer and a prestige writer and a novelist as well so um i i really don't know where they were going with that as an idea um Various versions of the script get um, produced uh, by different people over the, over time, but um, there was certainly a spell where Oliver Stone was attached. Someone did point me to that and just said, you know, but Oliver Stone was involved and I actually listened to some of what was in mind for his version and actually tuned out about halfway through. It was it was not that... It, because the main problem with the Mission Impossible 2 we've got is not the concept. It's not like I need to go in here a load of better pitches. There's there's nothing wrong with a sort of ticking clock and a virus as a as a storyline. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't like I was desperate to hear all these better pitches. Um, the the devil is in the detail. Uh, John Woo eventually became attached, but the, um, and he was uh, his instructions from Cruz and Wagner were ignore the first film. You know he had not Wu had not been a fan of the first film that doesn't shock me watching anything john woo's ever produced um but he, he said he found the film a little bit sort of cold and uninvolving and i sort of see his point to be honest with you to that degree um but they said to him forget the first film we we want a john woo movie um and i, I chris really it will get to it, that in a minute because you know john woo's cinema much much better than me i've seen a handful of his uh, English language films. I don't think any I've seen any of his native um, films at all. Um, one or two of them. One, one or two of them. I'm not sure about. I think I might have done, but if I did, it was years ago. And and actually, if I'm unsure, I tend to say no, I haven't. Um, based on his English language stuff, I don't like him at all. But there we will come to that. But. Um, Two big delays. So I thought, well, if they were hiring people so quickly, why did it take so long? Two major delays. Uh, just before they went to filming, the script wasn't in any condition. So they sort of took an extra month or so with people on their way to the sets. 
they had hotels booked and, and everything else they needed to, and it got delayed by a, a month or so. Uh, an earlier delay was the uh, Stanley Kubrick film Eyes Wide Shut, because obviously they signed up for a few weeks of filming for that, Tom and Nicole, and ended up shooting that for about 18 months. So that's all how we ended up with who we've ended up with when we ended up with this film. thought John Woo was an unusual choice. Chris, John Woo, uh, thoughts? Um, well, yeah, I mean, once upon a time, he was my favourite director. Uh, when I was, like, in my uh, late teens, or say, you know, when I was, you know, in my sort of, oh, I've just started reading Empire Magazine days. Uh, right. Because, you know, I, I was, you know, being also a fan, uh, you know, fan of Bond, also was a, I was a huge action movie fan. Uh, so when I, when you start sort of getting more into film, you start reaching out more about all right. Well, what what's other films out there? And you start listening to all oh, like you know Hong Kong cinema, and then you realise you you're seeing about films like Bulletproof and The Killer, like the best action movies ever. You think, well, really? Fucking hell! Uh, and so by about the time you have like uh, Face Off was coming out and things like that, and that was getting rave reviews. And and Face Off is probably in terms of his. Uh, English language films is probably his better film. Uh, you could probably make the case for Hard Target, with uh, depending depending if you uh, tolerate uh, Van Damme or not. But uh, I you know, tend not to. But you know, mm. but to be fair, in terms of Van Damme, that is his, one of his best. No, that's fine. No, I, I um, would understand that. I mean, Van Damme at one time was producing an enormous amount of films. I mean, the amount yeah. of like director DVD fucking bollocks he did. But if you were a Van Damme fan, there was loads of stuff. So you got plenty of him, and I'm aware if you produce that amount of uh, amount of material, there's going to be a variation in quality, and there will be by the law of averages some that are like better than the average. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I don't know too much about Hard Target. I, no. Yeah, I mean Hard Hard Target is a weird because it was his first. It was John Woo's first English language film, yes. and by that time he was like literally lauded as like this hot talent from like. From, from from you know from from another place you know what I mean it's like introducing like this to like Western audiences um, and while while he had like you know filmmakers like Tarantino at the time like you know singing his praises you know yeah. he did I mean the, the guy was like lord and um, and they were good at, and this this is how much they tried to actually introduce that and bring him over here was uh, Tarantino pitched it to. Uh, the, the I think it was, I think it was Universal that ended up doing it, and and in order to what, kind hard of target. yeah hard hard target and Just and when it's, they it's uni- it is Universal Pictures yeah and it, and it, and in order to like cement it obviously you know we have to strike deals you have to get things moving in case things fell through Sam Raimi actually agreed to direct it so if if John Woo for whatever reason did not somehow did not end up making Hard Target Sam Raimi signed, signed up it would have been Sam Raimi made, a Sam Raimi film a contingency so, deal yeah Yeah. so this is like how much like you know so, so like Tarantino Sam Raimi was that, that much like no no we really need to bring John Woo into Western cinema and, and I will underwrite the risk of trying to get him yeah so you know so, so it was basically that uh, and you know you, see, you look at a film like the Matrix, which came out a year before this film, you know, Mission Impossible. It's like, you know, with in terms of that, the the way the action scenes are, they are all they they are undoubtedly like John Woo, you know, like sort of, you know, people with um, sunglasses, dressed in gents, French clothes, slow mo, using two guns, 
that kind of shit. You know, that is, no, but that that is like that is his motif. You know, we also think yes. that's that's John Woo film. That that is, and also that... we see a scene with them um, with pigeons as well. He also uses like doves or other birds. Yes, in yes. his films as well, as, in terms of which like... looks hilarious. I expect Bonnie Tyler to walk out fucking. <laughs> Turn around. Yeah, I mean, like it, it, it is. I mean, it is over you. I mean, when you watch like something like The Killer or like Hard Boiled yes. or something. I mean, as I'd say, particularly The Killer. Because I think Hardboiled's actually a little bit westernised anyway. Yeah, if I've seen yeah. one, if I've seen one, it's likely to be the killer. Yeah. Just because the name's ringing a bell and what I'm looking at rings a bell, I'd, it's possible I've seen the killer. I'd if, reckon... that's, if that's it, that's all I've seen. I'm looking at Hardboiled now to see if that's familiar, and it isn't. I'd, I'd recommend if if you what if you reach across and and decide, oh, I'm, I'm going to watch John Woo's uh, two foreign languages. This is like his two later ones before he moved over. Start yeah. making movie. They're, they're, I, I would recommend those two. So, why is it, in your opinion, then, and it's only your opinion, obviously, yeah, yeah. but what, why, in your opinion, was he this lauded Asian director, and by and large, his English language product is just not that well thought of? Face Off has a certain cult appeal. Yeah. But like, that's, pro- cost. that's probably the closest to one being like a bit lauded. If yeah. you like, because there was a spell where it, everyone it was, was like, five this stars is good. that film when it came out. Yeah. everyone was like years later. It. Yeah, but it has, it is one of those things that's dropped in the interim. Yeah. People look at it and just go, "It's all right." Yeah. Um, but I mean, Broken Arrow was a bit of a nothing film. Mission Impossible Two. We're going to talk about. Wind Talkers did fuck all, and Paycheck was laughable. Paycheck was aptly named. Uh... It was yeah, really, was. really aptly named. I, I just felt I, I look at Ben Affleck that. and I think, well, I know you got a drink problem and stuff, but I feel a bit sorry for you sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's very rare you're going to feel sorry for a good-looking, fucking like super wealthy, you know, Hollywood yeah. guy. But I just think like a bit like Ryan Reynolds, he went through a spell in his career where he did everything for the right idea because it's working with John Woo and stuff like that. And the end results were never were not coming out very well for quite a while. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, that's that's the 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 yeah. W- sorry. Yeah. So to get back to my original question, what seems to work natively that doesn't work here? I don't. I mean, I think it's probably a mixture of different things. I think also there's there's probably a fact of like, you know, whenever you know there's um there's a, there's peak points in in people's careers, isn't there? When you start to decline, I think there was that's probably an aspect. I think also what? it's just like he he had his purple patch. Yeah, like you know, it's like okay, well, he's, you know, you kind of like you you reached your peak. What do you do? And you just you know, you, you for lack of a better yeah. way, you kind of start just regurgitating. Or... Yeah, yeah, I don't you know, I don't know. You know, it's it's not like anyone's fault. Like you know, they deliberately do it. I don't know. It it just seems to happen at times. Um, but I uh, I think it's probably partly. It's, I think. I think it's like it's an odd thing to write, but I think it's like a bit of a like a language barrier or like thing that just doesn't transition well. Like like when I was looking at um, Mission Impossible Two, like this film, uh, I think well, I, I I do often think if this was a Hong Kong film, like if it, if all if you just like literally just change like the actors into Hong Kong um, like. Chinese actors and um, just pick, and just pick somewhere in the Far East that looks like all yeah. the would, would, yeah would would Pete would we still be down on this you know and I think and I think the answer is probably no it'll probably people will be yeah it's fair enough it's decent, fair enough play a bit you, better you know what I mean and I think it's you just do, you do deal with what uh, odd stylistic quirks 
differently yeah. when it comes to a different culture. Yeah. Because you actually see yourself as open-minded in sort of like accepting it. Whereas in a... In a it, yeah, it's in a, it's a language American... barrier thing. It's like sometimes think, oh, you know, you, th- you just kind of like, just come, yeah, it's like you say, you just come a bit more open to it. You, you accept things that are a bit different that wouldn't necessarily work in a Western film. But you think yeah. something that, that seems a bit weird, you just think, oh, well, well, that's just like, it must be that, that thing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Mission Impossible 2, I thought about this today. I was largely thinking about the score, which I'll comment on later. Spoiler alert, I don't like it very much. Um, But I noticed that it it gives the film almost like this sort of tone poem feel. It's got no, because there's not actually comparatively a huge amount of dialogue in this film. Uh, now there is compared to some of the action films we might reference where no one says anything and there's certainly more than you'd get in the average John Wick film but I noticed it tonight there's a lot of parts of this film where score is doing all the work and no one's saying very much I do wonder if his experiences here hurt him though just on the basis that Paycheck was early 2003 and he didn't do anything for five years afterwards yeah I mean I think that's probably just that's the, the, the first and, point and the fact that he just kind of yeah I don't care anymore <laughs> do you know what I mean um, back I mean, in his native language now as well yeah I mean he's he did uh, he did he, I think he did Red, Redcliffe a few years ago which is like this big Redcliffe massive Redcliffe is the next thing he did and uh, that, that that's, looks like it's got massive cool scale a year later yeah. or a few years later it's really quick I, I suspect they shot him back to back looking at it there because yeah. they won part Lord mm. of the Rings style well they tend to do that I think don't they with an agent cinema I, as well yeah I think Redcliffe is like just one massive big Film, are they just sort of like Imperial China? Yeah, uh, but on the award as well, looking at it over mm. there, anyway. It broke yeah, the now the box. Chinese audience is everything. Uh, well, it wasn't back here because it broke, it broke, it did. Uh, hang on a minute, it broke the Asian box office record previously held by Titanic in main, mainland China. Well, it's total gross. Total box office is about two hundred and fifty million, and when you think, which yeah, when you think uh, the Avengers open to more than that in China in one weekend, yeah, the Chinese market is somewhat different now. Ten years on, but yeah, so I don't know that much about him. I have to say, I just know that I I effectively go off the British language stuff, and I don't like it. When everyone was wanking off about Face Off when I was in my early twenties, it was shit. I didn't like it. I just did not like it at all. Um, and I can't tune into. It, it's not like the films have a slightly campy charm. If they were nodding and winking, it would transform them. But actually, I find them a little bit serious. It's like it's a joke we're not in on. It, it's like it's like this film. I think while Tom Cruise is actually pretty good in this, like you know, the, you know, he, he's he's absolutely fine. But yes. the problem is, the film around it requires him to be a little bit Roger Moorish. Like, do you know what I mean? It requires him to kind of like just not take it as seriously. But the problem with Tom Cruise is, unless he realizes that he's uh, in a comedy, he's he is so full, he is so committed, and like, I know, I know. Uh, so you have to like sort of Tom, we're, we're doing a comedy here. So <laughs> other notable things about this film is obviously they started late, which meant they finished late, um, and it cost Doug Ray Scott what might have been a defining role for him because he'd been cast as in the X-Men film as Wolverine. Um, when you look back at the original X-Men film from the year 2000 now, it's noticeable when you see uh, Hugh Jackman without a shirt at one point in the film that he's not actually that buff compared to later. He's not that toned. He's not shredded. And one of the reasons for that is 
he was just so late to the party. He was just mm. a late replacement because Doug Ray Scott was required in Australia to finish off Mission Impossible 2. So it cost him a career-defining role. Yeah, he could have been a but potentially, X- I mean, X-Men could have been that big a hit, and they could have just like, oh well, then you well, know. That cause... was my the next point being, if you had to pick X Men at this point or Mission Impossible Two, Mission Impossible Two is the surer bet. Although it's not like he chose; he, mm. he was going to do both. Um, and obviously, we're assuming he went on to have anything like the impact in the role uh, Hugh Jackman did, which is far from definite, because obviously there's a sort of almost a chemical reaction between actor and character. You know, he's, he's perfectly good in, in what he does, but whether he would have worked in the same way as Wolverine, we'll, we'll never know now. But he had to pull out. At the last minute, Hugh Jackman sort of went, yeah, I'll do it, and sort of was nowhere near physically ready for it, but did it anyway and made do. And obviously it's become one of the signature roles in comic book movies full stop. Yeah, he is now um, iconic in the role. He'll probably be entwined as Wolverine. And when I look at Doug Ray Scott's filmography, it's not that amazing. He's been in a few films I've seen. You know, he was in Ripley's Game, which was a talented Mr. Ripley. That was a really good film. Not talented Mr. Ripley, Ripley's Game, the one with... Oh, yeah, that was not so good. uh, That had John Malkovich. That was one of the weaker entries, I think. Uh, He was in Dark Water, which was a Jennifer Connelly remake of an Asian film, which I've, I've seen. I'm looking at it. He was in. I'm trying to spot things. He was in the Timothy Oliphant hit, man. Oh. Which, was, which wasn't good at all. I'm just looking at films here, really. Death Race 3 Inferno. Oh, dear. When it's got uh, a subtitle, you know it's bad. When it's taken, got a... taken 3. Oh, God. Yeah. So, um, there's no. What was that doubt. British film he was in? Let's have a look. So, uh, well, he was in Soldier Soldier, wasn't he, originally? Is that where he made his name? I think oh, so. Didn't know that. I can actually remember him now you talk about it, yeah. Uh, Twin Town he was in, but that was all before that, before this, as was Deep Impact. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we're looking at a guy who could have obviously... A name that was it. But, yeah. he, but he's married to Claire Farinini, so not all bad. Claire Falani is lovely. I remember yeah. seeing her in a crap film years ago called <laughs> Boys and Girls, which was just shit. But... I kept watching it because I was like, who is that? And I never <laughs> ever, joking aside, I never watch a film for like an attractive woman. I just This don't. is D. Grace Scott. But I was watching it. I thought, I'm not switching this off. So yeah, he's, he's married to Claire Forlani. He's probably best known for um, Meet Joe Black. Sorry? She in Rats as well. I uh, can't remember if she was in Rats. She was certainly in, um, I say, Boys and Girls, which was a similar type of film. Yeah, she was in More Rats, yeah. I can barely remember her in it. I haven't seen More Rats for a while. She was like That's the the second female lead, the one that wasn't like. Um... Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now the Daniel Craig film Flashbacks of a Fool, I've not seen, and she was in that. Oh, I've not seen that one either. I've not seen that. You made that. That came out just before Quantum Solace. So Maybe we can in, do a uh, in, the, in the immediate sort of glow. I'm not doing looking at what <laughs> the Grace Scott made in his no. career. I don't think this is a viable series. No, me neither. I was only joking. I think Claire Falani now does more TV than anything else. Um, mm. have recurring roles on various things. But again, neither of them are fam- as famous as they could have been. I remember the film Hallam Foe, which had um, Jamie Bell in it. She was in that. Yeah, that was, that was a, good. a role for him. That had, what was she called from the live action, um, the live action Thunderbirds film? The one who played Lady Penelope. Oh, Sophia Miles. That. Yeah, she was in that. She was in um, Hallam Foe. 
Yes, that was a really good film. Wearing very little in places. But yeah, she was also in Green Street, apparently, which I've not seen. I've never bothered with. That's a good film. Uh, it's a bit cheesy in places, but it's kind of what they do, like dodgy accents. But well, I had, I had yeah, yeah, if you like to glamorise your football hooligan, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, well, I, I watched it's ID ten years before, you know. It's like I've seen that film. <laughs> it's just under yeah. a different name with Reese Dinsdale in it. So yeah, um, what else is? I think that's about it in terms of sort of build up to it. So it was plagued by delays. It did run through a few different directors. Brian De Palma was uh, not run, you know, not attached, but talked to. Brian De Palma did have first refusal, um, but obviously did not take that up for whatever reason he chose. Uh, the end version of the story is Ronald D. Moore and Brandon Braga, who are best known for Star Trek. The yes, two, so we've uh, met before on the series. Generations and stuff. Though the screenplay is Robert Town. Which just blows my mind because this is Doctor Robert Town. Yeah, but this is just not fucking Robert Town, is it? No, it's clearly not. But I do think it's um, it's in response to because obviously the first submission was before. One of its like major criticisms was that the script and the plot was too convoluted, and so this time it's really been pared back. They literally they did as an action set piece, explain the plot. Action set piece, explain the plot. And it's just like oh really? I don't really get that about the first one. And I understand that's no, I, I didn't get it either. But it's not difficult. I no. mean, there's a couple of bits I forgot last week where I it's thought... It's not Mission Difficult, it's Mission Impossible. It's like there's one bit in the film where he talks to, like, John Voight and says, why? And the answer Don't seems... Don't you want to know why? Yeah, but the, 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 the screenwriters might, have just had, might as well have just had him say, don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Shrugs. But that's it. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I think that's why they, they kind of went the other way. I mean, as I say, audience reactions might have... Might have been no. This is perhaps a bit too difficult to to comprehend, you know, to understand. And I think this time around they've kind of lurched the other way. And so yeah. they will spoon feed you a lot of it. I mean, like, but to be I fair though, I mean, Tom Cruise is always trying to pitch the the Mission Possible series as like a different uh, flavor, should we say? Each film, like each yeah, has it's a, a different type of action so, movie each time. Yeah, so you know, it could just like gel with that. You know, I mean, the the, the plot isn't like. I mean, it's quite straightforward but then so is the first one you know that's pretty straightforward it's just like it it's is. just in total it is you didn't really pay attention and there wasn't enough action in it for yeah you. The, yeah the, that's the, that's the mine is not that difficult you remember it as more difficult than it is mm. some of the bond films have got more difficult plots than the first mission impossible yeah honestly some of the roger moore era films where they're going off to find something or other is more convoluted than mission yeah, impossible probably sure as only probably you could probably say yeah. Uh, no, that's, yeah, although, that's quite complex. Although that's just the powers of the West chasing a Toby Activity Center. <laughs> <laughs> and a talking power. <laughs> give yeah. us a kiss. Oh, Mr. Bond. Oh, that's funny when the major the major plot point is given away by a snitch <laughs> Given away by a parrot. <laughs> anyway. Sorry. Uh, yeah, the script is not the worst bit of this film. It's it's the flashiness of the direction. I mean, a couple of times during this film, I thought I'd die another day. It's not as bad as <laughs> I did. I'm not the only one. Yeah, we'll come I, to I it. Well, you, try as you're in that era, aren't you, though? You're in that era where you're all like... It is all the fact much. that when, when you look at the first 35... Right, a lot... The received wisdom amongst Bond fans, which I don't agree with, but I see their point entirely, is that the first half of Die Another Day is not that bad. And it's like, it really fucking is, because it's so badly directed. It's so drawing attention to itself. It's it's The first half is not good, and we explained that in a review and a 
commentary. So it's out there, folks. If you never heard us talk about Die Another Day, go to the website, find the episodes from early to mid-2016, because it's not on iTunes at the moment, but more on that later. Um, and I just thought, actually, the, the director's getting in the way of this. If you stripped all this out and went for a fairly neutral visual and audio style would this be bothering me as much and it's like actually no it would just be it would still be the weakest mission impossible film but not by such a grand distance yeah it's definitely more the, I, you know to me i mean i, I i'm going to be the the more favorable of the three uh out of the two just i think simply this time because i watched it and i kind of like you know what? i don't hate it and I think I just sort of, I got on board with what they were trying to do, but I could kind of see just where they fell off the mark. Like, I didn't hate it. Like, you know, like you know, apparently John Woo, you know, because he's that kind of guy, he, you know, he, he wanted to make a, a love story. Now, the problem here, as we'll, we'll get we'll get to, is that the love story happens, like, within the first 15 minutes, and then the rest, of, and then it's just after the rest of the film. Whereas... They should have just like rather than just like bang each other as soon as they as soon as they saw each other and then well that's it that that, that that's the romance right there and there. Um, they, they they should have like extended that so it's like there's tension and there's build up and there's character work and there's like do you know what I mean? It's not like yeah, they've kind of gone into it backwards, haven't they? They kind of did it the other way around. I mean, so... yeah. I mean, I get why because they're kind of thinking like oh well there needs to be stakes and, you know, there needs to be affection for each other. So the, we have to get to the bit where they get to that as soon as we can. So th- for the rest of the film to work, when yeah. I say, no, for the rest of the film to work, you don't need that. There, there's there's plenty of other options you could have gone down that could have made it work and, and let it build towards the end where they... Not only that, it becomes really uncomfortable. Yeah. If, if in life, uh, as I would say the majority of people are, you are into monogamy. It's really fucking awkward watching her go back to like the other guy, and Tom Cruise is like kind of like half watching, oh, it, like oh, oh, I don't like this. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess that segues us into opening thoughts, really, Chris. So you're you're basically on, on the line of it. It's not that bad. I mean, I mean, look, I'm not going to push back about the any any of the, like the the negative opinions of this because I probably agree. Um, I see its flaws. I just didn't hate it. Uh, the, the, I can sort of see the effort uh, and, and for the sense of like seeing some of the, the stub work you know, that John Woo did. It was like, uh, you know what? I can kind of see it. I just think it's a mixture of, A, I think the hands of the score is just all over the place. Like, there was never <laughs> yeah. any, there was never really any, really like, what one, it, like, there, it seems like, it seems like you sort of like you thought uh, hands. We, we we need a score. He kind of looked in his drawer about all, all the random bits he's made. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Well, there I you go. So. I, I like. Oh, I, I, we need something to feed. Uh, well, uh, what what have you got so far? Uh, lip biscuit. All oh, right. So like uh, <laughs> heavy riffing guitar. Okay. I'll, I'm not that out on my laptop for about you know 15 minutes. Here you go. Okay. Done. I, I <laughs> agonised over the score. Oh. Finish your first thoughts, and I will follow in with a bit on score. Go on. Okay, uh, I also think um, not to knock Sydney, Australia, but for whatever reason, it just does not work here. I mean, I'm, I, 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 I've never been to Sydney, Australia, so I can't, I can't really comment too much. But the locations that they used, 
I'm sorry, it just looked really, really bland. It just it it looked kind of like you you. Picked... And it is one of the famous cities of the world. You 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 could have probably shot it more inventively. Probably, I mean, but it's yeah, like this is even like... though you know you you, can't, you see like the Sydney Harbour Bridge and you see yeah. um the, see kangaroos the, um, in the yeah, desert. The, yeah, the opera. One of the playboys in that area, feels uh, well, you know, what I mean, like the, the famous bridge that goes across the bay. Yeah. Um, and it's like, yeah, and you see the opera house as well, but it's like you don't you see it for like five seconds, like twice in the entire film. It's like they could have used more, well, obviously, it's quite an iconic location, I mean, but I kind of I would agree with you there, Chris. I kind of got the impression that you know, the fact that it was in Sydney just happened to be inconsequential, it didn't really feel for me like if they use a location where they can feel like a character in the film, I didn't really get that here, unfortunately. Yeah. Like you got the, your big action scene, and it's like it, it's done like in a in a in a kind of like sparse green, green bendy road area where no could one's be anywhere. around. Yeah, could be anywhere. Uh, and 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 although just... there is similar in Rogue Nation in that regard. Yes, yes a but a bike chase on. in that is twisty mountain roads. But yes, it's just generic twisty mountain road could be anywhere. Yeah, not taking fault with your logic, by the way. I'm just saying that there's precedent for something similar in a better film. No, no. Yeah, well, you get that wherever you go. So. But but I think that's that. I mean, look, if you have to look at the two chases there, I I, I think we all know which one looks better. I, oh, yeah. I, even though like that is your bog standard uh, desert bendy road, it's still like yeah, well. You, you, you know you know where you are you got that vibe here it's just like oh a bit bit of greenery you know it's, it's not like it's, Australia it's not like, like california yeah it's it, it's not like it's like uh new york city we got like lots of incoming traffic and lots of shit happening around or anything like that you know or i mean you could have even done it like in like you know like you know hong kong itself i mean that would mean that'll make sense you know like big high-tech company at the, at the center of it you know John Woo directing, take it to Hong Kong, why not? Um, but, anyway, yeah, so I think the location, well, just kind of cheapens it. I also think, and this is, and this is going to go back to, like, sort of John Woo's style here. When you look at his stuff, particularly in, in like, Hong Kong, like, John Woo's pretty, pretty much, like, loves musicals. That's why, kind of, like, action cinema is kind of, like, parallel to musicals. Uh, so it's all pretty much about you know movement and you know and and flow and that. But here, because it's kind of really kind of thought out and graceful and everything's all slow mo. There's no fucking blood at all. When you watch no. the uh, when you watch the, the Hong Kong stuff, I mean, there's shitloads of fucking bullet holes. Okay. There's like insane amount of gore, like over the top. Over you know like people like getting shot like with like sort of hundred times unnecessarily so. And it kind of works when something's that when action is that graceful, it kind of just falls a bit flat. It feels almost like a video game. So you you need that sort of grounding of like actual violence to to kind of like see something that's both graceful and brutal at the same time. That makes it work uh, here because I don't I can't remember whether it was I want to say it would have been a twelve I guess. Um, but yeah, I would say so. Uh, it just it's just too toned down and the. It need it needed at least a bit of weight, a little bit of heaviness, like you know, even like with the twelve uh, action we see today, we may not see blood, but we you know we feel the punches, so to speak. You the know, Royale is always the gold standard for me. Yeah, mm, definitely. Of of how you push the boundaries of a twelve A without really pushing the boundaries yeah. of a twelve A. I don't think 
just on Casino Royale. I doubt it was that close to an R rating, but it kind of feels like it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I do think it's something, because when you see the action here, it is pretty much, like, bloodless and just yeah. pretty... I, I, I want to say throw away because it just feels almost like you're playing a video game and that kind of that's kind of woo its worst aspect that's just like woo by numbers you know there's there's uh, you know it just doesn't work when you, when you compare it to his other stuff you know even like say Hard Target I mean that's an 18 film and that has and that has more hard hitting uh, violence as well as like the stylistic stuff that he does you know it, it the action works better there you know when you compare but when you look at this it just feels very much like yeah we had to completely turn it down and i think it's that's kind of you know it fails to be a genre movie in, in that aspect it's you know but anyway uh but yeah tom cruise is great um even though he's kind of playing more serious than he needs to be um, he's in the wrong film slightly, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> or, or he he set a tone for this film that it could have done without. I like I, I could have easily bought like this could have easily been a comedy had it been Ben Stiller instead, and he was just oh, like and he was like doing lines of dialogue, but in 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 a in a slightly tough guy Zoolander voice. Like, he could have basically, been... <laughs> basically do the exact same script. Yeah, it's I was like, funny I think... as fuck when that dove flies out of that room. <laughs> it's like the. Um... You know, it's like like the beginning. It's like, well, you know, if I told you where I was, this, you know, it wouldn't be a vacation. If he, you know, if if it was Ben Stiller delivering that, I'm sure that would have that would have played as a comedy. Yeah, as long as his exactly. lips, as long as his lips went blue steel every time he put yeah. the glasses on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it yeah so so and also. I'm kind of mixed about Dugray Scott because I think God bless him, he does give it a good fucking go, and he does seem to be enjoying himself. This is where it felt '90s, Chris. Though this felt like a, he felt like a '90s Eurotrash villain. But the like pro- you like you got Gary Oldman played a few of them. The Crow had one a bit mm. like it. Yeah. But I can't help but think. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, we always say, why don't we just let actors do their uh, their, their original as- accents? Why does it matter? And what accent point, did he do in this? It is is his natural Scottish. That's what I thought. Yeah, and I just think I thought you were going to tell me suddenly he was like American through. No, no, no. I was going to say this is going kind to of think maybe if he just played it American, or maybe if he did like just an English because that, like you know, like kind of you know because Eng- English is a bit more like a villainous accent. And then you've got um, Brendan Gleeson doing a plummy English accent as obviously head of the pharmaceutical yeah. company. So he puts on a very plummy British accent. So I don't know. It just it just would you know, it some reason like I don't think you can quite do evil and Scottish at the same time. You know, it it just doesn't quite work, <laughs> does it? We I just have, a, I have master of accents, Richard Roxburgh and, doing it instead. Yeah, and you got Richard Roxburgh who who is who's Australian, who is from Australia, in in like playing a uh, playing a bad South guy African. in in Australia doing South African. Why? Yeah, and it sounded to my ears, it sounded awful. I I didn't place it at first, but then I think there was a problem with the sound on my yeah. my Blu-ray player, and then it's I was like, oh, actually no, it's a South African accent. But yeah. he's quite good, I think. I think I remember he was in um, oh god, Moulin Rouge around this time. Yeah, mm. I was just trying to think. There's another film that I saw him in, and he had like a really plummy accent in that one. Play, play, playing a, a blonde-haired henchman called Stamp. 
Yeah, I was thinking, that. hmm. That's <laughs> oh, I must confess, like I, I do love obviously I love Bond, I love Mission Impossible. But for me it's it pretty much like Bond did it better. Bond did it better. And I was thinking, yeah. Literally I was okay, that's from Tony Never Dies, that's from Goldeneye, that's from the But film, it doesn't feel Marvel. like a Bond film though. Well no no, it's completely different it's altogether yeah. different because obviously it's born out of the same genre i think arguably without one we wouldn't have the other um but i was just literally like hmm, that sounds like this or this is very familiar to that and it's just like oh here we go again but yeah this one is as i say a completely different animal and you have to look at it on its own you know on its own merits um yeah <laughs> well if you went back to the 60s that's probably true becca when you think about when mission impossible started exactly, and then you had stuff it. like then you had stuff like matt helm come along and the man yeah, from exactly. uncle it's, it, it's all like trying to cash in on the spy craze that is bond Exactly. So and the, I think when um, when Kennedy the, said uh, from Russia Love Start, you know, that was his, his full time favourite novel as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that kind of m- might have helped to get sort of the boom, certainly on in terms of um, its popularity in America as well. So for me, for me, so, just looking yeah. at the history and the genesis, I think you know, kind of that's where it's came, where it all came from, really. But it's less that the film exists because I don't know Goldeneye did or something like that. It, it's that the TV show existed because of Bond. <laughs> and then well, this yeah. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. It doesn't feel like a Bond film. Be absolutely right. You just point to things and you go, yeah, that is a bit. I suppose you can you can see that there is a bit of intertext, into, you know, into kind of intertwining. I guess whatever you like to call it. So, so what? So what did you think of it? Hated it. No, I didn't really hate it. <laughs> <laughs> No. say if you did you wouldn't be the first person to hate this film i'd probably rank nine of the day and then this film <laughs> no um I don't, i'm probably a bit more aligned with chris really i can i, I must say i'm um whatever you know john john Woo's movies and, and his place within um certainly asian cinema so hollywood action cinema as well um but i'm not like a much as i was gonna call you a super fan chris sorry um <laughs> but, you know he's not been like number one director unfortunately um, yeah, I, I can kind of, I can see where they kind of started to go wrong and where, you know, plot holes um, arise due, you know, due to the nature of this film being cut to shreds. Basically, um, I think the original cut was something like over three hours, and it was super violent. A lot of that was toned down, um, and the studio were like, "Oh no, it must be under two hours, or you know, two hours is the limit." I, I would have loved uh, to see more violent versions of this film. <laughs> yeah, literally, I was quite surprised because that epic shootout at the end, I was thinking, "Oh my god, how did they come away with that without?" You know, he has a few scars and the nicks and all the rest of it, but yeah, was, for a film, this is well considerably less, less violent than the last one. Don't see hard, you know hardly any blood at all. Um, considering stuff, I think that's quite a miracle. Uh, but no, it's, it's yeah, it's all a bit cheesy for me. Um, I just wish they could have could have done it the other way around instead of shoehorning in the um, the love triangle, the love aspect um, at the very beginning of the film. You're kind of hit over the head with it really which kind of spoiled it for me um however conversely compared to last week's film i did get the chemistry between tom cruise and tony newton's character definitely i kind of felt that it was more the chemistry was more palpable between them compared to Tandy newton and degray scott's character i kind of felt he's just generally a slime ball um i've got a bit of a thing for degray scott so you have to excuse us he's very dishy um so doing... that middle class word again folks <laughs> dishy what dishy. Things... <laughs> we, we, how dishy is he? Is he haggis dishy? Well, I can't say because I'm vegetarian. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. Nice. Um, yeah, well, no, but I think it's one, also one of those films like it, women kind of get a hard 
you know, well done in, in this genre generally. Oh, right, I wondered where that was going. <laughs> I was going to say something else, but I thought no. Sorry to see him. It took me a while to think about it. Sorry. Um, well, it's, I think it's just amazing that she survives the movie. I just kind of think, oh, because you know, there, there are various um, really disparaging comments made about women during the course of this film, um, and I kind of thought, oh no, because I, I, I don't know if I saw this anymore. I really can't remember. I don't have a memory of it. Um, and I thought, oh god, well she's going to die, you know. Um, but no, she she made it out towards the end. Although we don't see her next week, I don't think. No, it's like, no. You, you, yeah, you start again. <laughs> you loved her, didn't else. you, sir? <laughs> like, yes, <laughs> and then not seen again. Yes, uh, I don't know. Never again. No. It's only um, in that regard. It's any really anything like Bond. Um, in that you know that this film is suddenly you know got to have him as the lantern jaw romantic lead as well, mm-hmm. um, and that really doesn't come out in the rest of the series. Even where there is a love interest, it's not played the same way as here. No, um, I I thought it was vaguely fucking laughable how fast they were fucking actually. <laughs> you know, it's like he saves her really and then quickly. suddenly it's like he's at her and it's like blimey! <laughs> wow. Well done. Um, when you don't waste no time. When they met each other, it was hilarious as well, because <laughs> they met at that dance and they like superimposed the edge of the dancers over the side of the frames. Oh, that was really bad. And moved it really slowly while they glared at each other in slow motion, and the 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 score went into like a heartbeat, and it was like, oh fuck off. With the it's Spanish like, guitar hitting. Boom, boom. <laughs> so much of this film let, meant went felt like an advert, and I but I don't know what for. In that they often talk about commercial, you know, TV commercial sensibilities or music video sensibilities in directors. And it's a bit of a cliche, actually, because music videos take a certain skill and they're nothing like making a feature film anyway. If Michael Bay literally made films as though they were music videos, they'd make even less sense. Do you know what I mean? And they'd, they'd be but they'd probably be a bit more inventive in a strange kind of way. You know, it's it's a bit of a cliche and it's kind of meaningless. But several times during this film, I was thinking that could play as an advert for something. You know, after she goes back to Doug Ray Scott, he walks in front of a fire and I was thinking, yeah, this could be an advert for a liqueur. You turn around and go, this could could be an advert for a liqueur. Something a bit (laughs) late night and spicy, you know. Drink X whiskey. Tia Maria, right? (laughs) (laughs) When they met each other, I thought it was, you know, black magic or fucking, you know, qual- not, well, it wouldn't be Quality Street. There's no hint of romance in that. Milk Tray. Yes, yeah, I was just going to say yeah, that. Milk tray, right? yeah. yeah, so, yeah, Quality Street wouldn't work, would it? That's more of a Christmas thing. Um, <laughs> there's loads of that in this film. But two things that bother me, Chris hit on both of them. Um, one of them was the action. Um, I don't consider it. I say I don't consider it my thing. I like genre cinema and I like action films, so perhaps it is my thing. But I certainly moan about it more than either of you two do. So I've clearly got like a very specific, almost standard for what it is I'm expecting to see. Well, you, you know what you like. Um, I don't know if I do, but I certainly know what I don't like, which is 90 fucking percent of it. <laughs> um, the, the action in this film, I kept thinking of Taken 3. Um, and it's funny because Chris said I'd like to see a harder cut of this film, and I'm thinking, mm. actually, it's almost like Taken Three, where they've made it as a harder cut and then cut some shit out of it, and it completely ruins the flow of it. And I finally get what Miss Chris means by saying it's like um, a musical. It's actually more like a, a dance film, if you like, like a Fred Astaire film or something like that. Okay, in the, the 
yeah, in that, it's got a rhythm to it. And this film is edited such that it loses its rhythm entirely. I mean, it, even outside of action scenes, uh, he throws down... I had to watch this twice to fucking figure it out. Uh, Anthony Hopkins throws down a camera and says, well, we, if you're unsure about this, take a look at that. And you think, what was on there then? Because obviously he's got to get the real thing from Doug Ray Scott. Is that photos of like him with Naya? Is that you know what I mean? Is, what, is no, that it's. I mean, what is it? It's. Uh, he said like if you it, no, it's uh, it's when like if you're having problem uh, and if you're having problems like trying to convince her, show him this, and it's like and you're seeing the next scene, she's looking through photos of the plane crash. So she's right, like saying, look, look, look at what okay. he did. You well, know. in that case, that's my error then, because I failed to like understand. Well, you know, it. but maybe the film didn't probably didn't do a job where it's uh, edited to. Well, particularly as like, the particularly as the whole film is cut as though she's got to be put back into a sexual situation with him, and then you throw down a camera, and it's like, what's that photo to blackmail her with? Anyway, but in the action scene, certainly, the camera sort of moves away from gunshots, where you think the actual rhythm of that shot's been ruined. Right near the end of the film, where they go in and shoot like the night, you know, the night watchman, the the guy on the desk. The camera's in the wrong place because they don't want to show any blood and stuff like that. The action, every time the action gets to like, it's, you know, using a sex metaphor, every time they get to the fucking cum shot, everything slows down ridiculously. It, it is totally like, here we go, here's the money shot. And then it slows down, it takes all rhythm out of it, it takes all like stakes out of it. And bizarrely at the end, they keep cutting away to shots of the fucking ocean. They, we're, we're looking at waves. All I could think of was the 1970s pole dark. I was thinking like that. The opening credits like had that in it, and I just thought you've just reminded me of a during a tense action scene. You've just reminded me of a mid 70s BBC costume drama. That's not <laughs> a good thing, right? Um, again, there were action sequences that were almost self parodying the kind of like you know the the waking up with the gun at the end, you know. And I, I just think like he is. He's going to throw the bullet at him. Um, <laughs> so the action's dreadful we'll talk through it scene to scene it, it's ruined, it's it's very signature I recognise it as that director even though I've not seen a lot of that director in the same way I can spot Michael Bay but that's not always a good thing um, it, at times the action sequence feels like it's directed by feel like they're directed by somebody with real natural talent who's never done it before in that they've won a prize to direct a film because they're starting off quite nicely. You think, oh, yeah, you've got a fair idea how where you want the camera and how you want the actors oriented to each other. And it's like, oh, fuck, you've just slowed it down there. And, oh, shit, that stunt looks fucking ropey. And then it's like, oh, and now you've cut away to the ocean. All right, okay. On the music, on the music all the way through, I kept thinking, no, this isn't right. But the phrase elevator music kept coming to me. And I was thinking, hang on a minute, why am I thinking elevator music? A, it's it's not a real thing in that when you get into an elevator or a lift, that music's not usually playing anyway. It, it's what Western, c- c- the culture has put in our head as an idea of what elevator type music is. You could also say music, the sort of thing that plays on a phone when you're waiting for like to get through to customer services or whatever. And I'm thinking... None of those have, like, shredding guitar. So why am I thinking elevator? I've never got into an elevator in my life that's been playing shredding guitar. And I think what it is, is whenever you hear Muzak or 
elevator music as you would conceive it in your head. It just feels like random noodling. It's not really a song. It doesn't really have a start or an end. It's just there to like make some sounds. And that's what I felt this score was like. And then I was trying to place it specifically in something I'd seen. And all I could come up with was the Red Dwarf episode, Back to Reality. Oh, God. <laughs> because the, in the episode, Back to Reality, they find out in the TV show Red Dwarf that they've been in virtual reality for a few years. And the events of the first five series we've seen weren't real. They, they were like in a game. And as they're walking out, they're given back their street clothes and all the rest of it. As they're walking out, one of the characters looks into like a little viewfinder where they can see the people currently playing the game. And it's all shredding guitar. And Kachansky, shut up! <laughs> and that's, that's deliberately a bad American accent in that, like, they did it. That's what they that's sound what like. like in the show. Yeah. And I just thought, yeah, so I've sat here, watched a load of action sequence. I've thought of Taken 3, which is incompetently edited partly because they're trying to cut frames out to get a certain rating so people die by sitting down whereas in the 18 cut you know they were impaled on something i've thought of a bbc costume drama from the mid 70s i've thought of elevator music and an early 90s edition of a sitcom um this film's not very good it doesn't do it any favors no, this film's not very good. Um, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be in that the setup's kind of all right. I've got to keep ignoring the shitty direction. It's a bit or the the style a style of direction I'm not enjoying. I think it's a bit unfair to call John Woo shitty, to be honest. But certainly, I'm not enjoying that style. Right? But it's got a bit of, you know legend in terms of action cinema, but he's it's, it's like Tarantino. He's, he's very hyper stylized. Yeah, it's a bit bombastic, but, and it's like and if you're not getting on board with it, you'd be like, oh for fuck's yeah. sake! I can, I, I can get it. I misspoke, I misspoke when I said shitty because I'm insulting. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. The end result's kind of shitty, though, to be fair. Yeah. But I'm with it for a while. It's a little bit slow. Um, it gets going eventually. I think the action is genuinely hilarious. I think the cinematography. The cinematography and editing choices are genuinely hilarious. I think the score is genuinely the worst thing I've ever heard from Hans Zimmer. And again, there might be people like Charlie who can point who likes this film. He was talking about it before we came on. You can point to a ton of that stuff Hans Zimmer's done that's worse. But like, I've never had a score that has stuck out to me as like, what the fuck is this? And I've looked and gone, oh, it's Hans Zimmer. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean. Um, whereas. You know, he doesn't normally stand out that strongly. I recognise his his style, and that's very like Hans Zimmer. And then you sometimes find it is him. But um, yeah, that's what that's my opening thoughts. Really, um, I really wanted to just almost focus on some of the things Chris had focused on because it really did make me think of things that I, you know, I'd noticed while I was watching it. Yeah, it kind of takes you to unexpected places, but not those kind of unexpected places. You know, it's a bit ropey. Yeah, and, and just I'm kind of looking on... forward to in, in terms of the score. I'm looking forward to next week a bit better as well because we've got Jakina. Yes, so I'm expecting great Which things. I, bl- I blanked on when we did the first episode, but almost as soon as we hung up, I thought, "Oh, it's JJ. It'll be my yeah, good old JJ. Yeah, he'll be." Anyway, my... yeah, sorry to cut you off there. No, you didn't. I was done. I, I really just I, I think that that that's as far as I can go. Really, I think it's time to discuss this film sequentially. So where do we start? We start with. You know, typical you know action movie score. Dun, 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 dun. Um, we uh, we see uh, you know 
Boris the sneaky fucking Russian. Um, <laughs> no, that's for anybody into I... Boris the Spider. No, no, that's uh, for, that's reference for Snatch. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, oh, yeah, I forgot he was in that. Yes, yeah, he, he was in Snatch as well. Yes, he's, Boris. He, he's you know sort of you know talking about you know making a making a virus in order, in order to uh, make a hero. You have to create a villain, uh, whatever, and he injects the the virus into him. And then uh, he gets on a plane and he's with Tom Cruise, supposedly. He's got to do it within 20 hours. Yes. Yeah, that is communicated to us quickly and efficiently. Mm. Um, But we don't find out till a bit later in the film that the people he's about to commune with don't actually quite know that. Mm. So that, that it's within him and stuff like that. They think he's like carrying it with him. He gets on a plane and ostensibly sits next to Tom Cruise, who he refers to as Dimitri. Is Dimitri like Russian for friend or something? Uh, Dimitri's a name, so I'm presuming that's that's. He thinks he's meeting Tom Cruise, an IMF agent, mm. um, and that man is called Dimitri. And Dimitri has helped him in the past. Is referenced, so I'm presuming in some previous cover they came across each other's yeah. paths, and uh, the IMF have gone to send him in. But of course, Tom Cruise is on vacation, which is hilarious. <laughs> just the whole plot of the film comes into being because Tom Cruise is because Ethan Hunt is on holiday. That's <laughs> it. I thought it was really weird, like the language of it all, kind of how at the beginning is like, oh, you know, what is on holiday, but then at the end of the film, he's on vacation. I know that's really stupid. That's really petty. But I just kind of found that a bit weird. I was like, oh. To any okay. North Americans listening, we do not use the term vacation in this country, even though we completely understand it. Yeah, we, we know, know what, what it means, but we tend to is. use holiday. Yeah, so for, to, for me, it's like to hear a Brit American use like a British term. I mean, I'm used to it the other way around, but this time it's a little bit like, oh, would you not say vacation? But oh well, I just think it was interesting. That's all. But anyway, my, actually, I'd misremembered this film because I, I, I actually, I, I'd only seen it once, and I think I conflated different entries in that I thought, um, I thought Anthony Hopkins went rogue in this, but of course he doesn't. It's a cameo, basically, two scenes. A yeah, it's really random. <laughs> I was doing the cast list, and I was like, oh, we yeah, Anthony Hopkins is in this film. Now, I'd remembered he was in it, but I, I thought he went bad as well, but obviously not. Um, yeah, so basically, it's a staged uh, plane crash, basically, isn't it? Or not a staged plane crash, it's an actual plane crash, but it's engineered yeah. by uh, Doug Ray Scott's Sean Ambrose, who we don't know at this stage he's an IMF agent. No. He's just pretending, to, although he, he's got appropriated some of the stuff in that he's got uh, one of the, he's got a Tom Cruise mask on. Um, which I've got a point about masks later, but anyway. I love how there's a lot of quite revealing moments in this film. Uh, yeah. Seems like when he pulls off a mask and Roger Moore goes, quite revealing. To be honest, he might as well have just left the mask off. There was absolutely no fucking reason to like go, ha ha! No. <laughs> but it but then next, out... next week, next week we've got epic face off. Obviously, John Moody also directed face off. Um, but yeah, a bit of epic face off in next week's film. So. We do. Um, I, one of the things that struck me, and again, this is down to the violence. This is that you know, he he breaks his neck, and it's that that thing that sometimes when movies do when they try and turn it down by having it completely silent, and yeah. it just feels like, have you actually done anything there? Yeah, have you just sort of like just just rubbed him a little bit? With you? <laughs> They've just you've just done a bit of amateur osteopathy. They're like, thanks. <laughs> you need near a click. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He always felt just like you know, you know, if you're gonna tell us you you, you just broken his neck, then I at least have the fucking crunch sound. I noticed that, and I, I thought it was the first sign 
that we might have the wrong director for this material. Just in that, like, I immediately thought they've had to pull a punch there. You know, not literally, but they've, they've had, they're having, they've, let's see how we go. But the very first scene, they've had to, like, pull back very slightly from what feels natural for this director. Whereas there are a lot of action directors out there who are used to working in and around the PG-13 rating. So they would naturally design it right for that. But I'm nitpicking, really. It's just a sequence where we, we're revealing the Sean Ambrose character. He's working with other people. He's hijacked the plane of basically... They gas everybody on the plane and knock them out, including the other pilots, because Richard Roxburgh's Hugh Stamp is flying the plane. And they are basically there to steal this virus from the guy from Taken, too, funnily enough. Oh, yeah. And other things. Red, Reddy, Shabra. He was in um, Batman Begins as well. Nice coat. That was it. And also the remake of The Saint, the um, Welcome movie, I think. I've only ever seen that once. Fucking hated it. Yeah, so. that leads us does that lead us no it doesn't lead us into credits we go straight to um now i get confused is there a graphic that tells us where ethan is because he's rock climbing he's Uh, free climbing yeah like at the bottom of of the screen it kind of tells you what does it say the reason i say this is they shot it in utah but i thought it was based in australia and they were sorry it was meant to be Utah, but they shot it in Australia. That's what mm. I thought. And I think that might actually be the case. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is where Chris's we- phrase about it being a like mid- midlife crisis film comes into play. Is it a little bit like that? I mean, I mean, that, I mean that look, it is, it is impressive, the, you know, the, the stunt work off the climbing. Like, you do look yeah. and think, fucking hell. And yeah. you also think, that, that's just unnecessarily insane. Why would you be? Like, why? Yeah. He, he um, did this for real. Obviously, from here on in, they're painting out wires and harnesses and stuff like that. But he did all of this, I think, except literally one shot. So, yeah, it's very impressive. But I just think, why don't you just fucking whip your knob out if it's long, you know, and just go, look, I'm quite an impressive guy. Because that's, that's all this scene is. It's a bit of fucking willy waving at the start of the film. I don't mm. get the point, and it goes on for too long. But the whole point is he's somewhere remote, and he's got to get his mission. And he's say, "I've just got to climb a mountain, man." Yeah, because <laughs> it's there. Is yeah, the, that famous say. So it's a pair of sunglasses. He puts them on, and he is briefed about the stealing of Chimera. Um. And that's it. I don't think is Sean, yeah. Sean Ambrose isn't mentioned at this stage. No, no not at the moment. Uh, no, that's no. later he, at the safe house. He's basically told that he he he's has to sort of meet set and you'll be signed. You, you, you'll have like two uh, agents of your choosing set for uh, except this for one. Except third must be Naya. Which, which you need to purchase. yeah. Yeah, one of this must be Spidey and T. I love how the uh, the the mission uh, is always like the same amount of people. Like you have the. The, the female love interest you and have, there could be exactly four of you you have you have big reins <laughs> on a laptop yeah, yes. you have big reins on a laptop honest. and someone who can fly a helicopter that's your team <laughs> yeah yeah anyway <laughs> you just imagine them getting the mission and it's basically Ocean's Eleven and they get there and they're like we're totally fucking outclassed here <laughs> four are you kidding 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I, a lot of this was in the trailers and the shot of him climbing. I think there was also the shot of him throwing the glasses towards the camera effectively as they self-destruct. Um, and already I've got a problem because I really just, I like distinctive directing in that I like a visual style where I can go, that is quintessentially that person's work. But where you start seeing directorial ticks like random slowing downs and all that shit pisses me off. So I'm already going into the credits going, oh, fuck. And I don't like the rendition of the Mission Impossible theme here either. We've got it on the we've got it on the start of this show, obviously, if it gets through all the places we've got to put it. Um, it it's my least favorite. They, they do. They do have a different orchestration every time They, you know, they vary. Um, and this is just the one that I go. This and four are the two where I go don't like this. This one really dates it as well. I mean, I, I kind of said like last time that that was like the most 90s action movie. I think this is probably, if not one of well, there's lots of other action movies come out in the noughties. I'm guessing in the in the early t- well 2000 onwards. This is like a very noughties action movie, and it's a very yeah. John Woo action movie too. But yeah, the score really does date it here. Just my opinion. Oh, definitely. It stands out a mile. Um, I, I don't like the Ghost Protocol credit sequence either. I love the way it goes into the titles, and we'll talk about that when we do Ghost Protocol. But they go into the theme, and then it just kind of noodles about a bit. Yeah. I'm not a fan, it's I'm like, not a fan come on, put one. some fucking balls behind it. That's why I really like the Fallout one, because yeah. it's just played with so much fun. Yeah, that's really cool. I, 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 I really like Rogue Nation Western. as well. I think Rogue Nation is probably my favourite. Is Yeah, those two. Those yeah. two really I think where, where, where they don't mess about with the score, or they do it in kind of like a, a, very, a very stylish but understated way, and let, let the score kind of breathe and, and be to its own. Because Lady Schifrin created new, 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 numerous classic scores. Yeah. Um, Dirty Harry is, is also another one that I love of his. Um, but it's just one of those things. I think that the, the less they mess around with it, the better it is. So, if that makes sense, and that's really stupid, but if they just let, let a theme kind of exist in, in its own right. Or kind of treat it with reverence and respect, rather than being all totty and, and noodling around with it, as you say. Then, yeah, the, the better it is, really. So, anyway, that's my comment. Yeah, <laughs> that's my that's my decent. It's funny. In the midst of this, I've just looked at Tom Cruise's filmography because basically I wanted to hit on Ghost Protocol, see who did the music, and funny enough, that's Giacchino as well. But I'm looking at the list, right? And it's got the last few... Well, no, because his Mission Impossible 3 is the one's all right. And I'm not talk, even talking about the overall score. I'm just talking about the title music. Um, I really, really don't like the Ghost Protocol one because I just feel like put some fucking effort into it. It just feels like get on with it. It's just shit. But looking at his filmography, after Fallout, his next film is listed as Joseph Kaczynski directing, which we know is correct for Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. But it's listed it as Green Lantern with him playing Al Jordan. That's just mischief making on Wikipedia, that is. Yes. He is not down to play Green Lantern. I know it's been talked no, about. Mischief managed. Free, and he's going to do at least a couple of films in between that. But anyway. Danger um, Zone. Yeah, wait. Fucking hated the first one, though. <laughs> it's going to be Gen- fun. Genuinely fucking hated it. Genuinely wanted to fucking throttle Tony Scott right afterwards. Yo, yeah, you're your biggest, his biggest fan. It was the first <laughs> film where I thought, I don't like this guy. And ever since, I've hated Tony Scott's work. And it started with Top Gun. I think it's oh, fucking no. shit. Anyway, I think bow, I just bow, bow, bow. gotta give bow. it. Gotta give it. A ch- it might as well just be fucking like they might as well have just fucked and got it over. Might as well just kissed to get over with. It. Yeah. Anyway, 
That wasn't really a problem. I don't give a shit if it's homoerotic as hell, but it's just this American best of the best of the best bollocks that gets on my tits. Yeah, it's all a bit jiggeristic as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it just gets on my tits, and the plot's just totally who cares anyway. Um, I'm, I'm happy, I'm hopeful the sequel might be better because it's not Tony Scott. And like Tom Cruise is older, they've had years to think about it, they're putting some interesting cast members in. It might be less fucking rah, rah, rah. They might become best buddies this time, you well, never know. I'm not. I'm, I'm, G- I wasn't dead. Yeah, g- given Hollywood at, at the moment, I doubt it will be kind of like America's Ace. I think that. Kind no, of... I, I haven't watched. I've only ever seen the first one like once or twice. Um, I, I think the people I watched it with weren't really digging it either, and that kind of. I, I think I might have been a little bit influenced. That's not to say I'll watch it again and think it's a great film, but it does mean that like I'll watch it early next year in prep for that film. And I expect to have a better time than I did with it the first time. But it ain't my thing. You know, wanking off about your military capabilities ain't my thing. But, um, yeah, uh, so we come out of the credits. And where do we go from there? Uh, We go straight to, uh, well, we go straight to when he meets, you know, Tandy Newton or uh, Nalia, she's called. I laugh my fucking ass off at this, right? (laughs) I'd have been disruptive in the cinema because I think I'd have laughed out loud there as well. When he sees her and then suddenly it becomes, you know, over ice, after dark, Tia Maria. <laughs> You're breathtaking. <laughs> Everything slows down and they just look at each other and they take... Oh, the slow-mo in this film is terrible. It's are we supposed to think oh, they've instantly fallen in love? Fuck off. <laughs> dear, oh dear. Yeah. Well, no, they, they they fall in love while having like a, like a major car incident on the. I know oh, we'll get to that in a minute as well. That yeah, car I, chase, I was like, yeah. oh, golden eyes all I mean, over that. Just lean into it and put it into the dialogue. I mean, she's nearly just died. You've pulled her up onto your lap. Just Hello. say, Christ, that these shenanigans have given me quite the stiffy. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's pretty much what he says. He doesn't say anything actually, but they're immediately like they're going to fuck. Their faces were really, really close together. But she's like some kind of cat burglar or something, isn't she? Yeah, she's she's a thief. Oh, yeah. You know, she, you know she's trying to like rob these uh, the, the, these like sort of diamonds that, that this this bracelet that's, that, that's uh, sorry this necklace that's like uh, meant to be like half a million pounds. Um, so she's trying to steal that, and then uh, he interrupts that, and then sort of sets off the alarm but at this point we don't realise it's him who actually sets it off and then like, plays off like he's like head of, head of security or some sort and that he's like and then she's like working with him yeah he's, she's like do you mind if I go on top and it's like <laughs> okay like race, yeah, raise an eyebrow Roger Moore don't have a problem with women being on top <laughs> yeah it's just like no need for any of that having said that there's quite a bit of cleavage showing as she rolls on top and I'm thinking yeah. This 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 is actually like yeah this is getting a bit racy. I don't know yeah. I don't know what certificate this would have been when it came out. Would it, it have been a twelve A. It would have been a twelve A. But that uh, oh not the twelve A wouldn't have existed. It would no, have been I'd say like a twelve. PG thirteen, yeah. So it would have been. That's the, the market it would have gone from. And mm. looking at if it was the highest grossing film of the year, it won't say twelve. Yeah, yeah well, PG at the very at the very lowest or twelve. Oh, it won't be a PG either. I wouldn't have thought. Uh, well, not really. You don't see any boobs. <laughs> There's a bit of cleavage. Hang on a second. Let me just look. Mission oh, really Impossible 2. I'm going to look it up. Mission difficult. Hey, it looks like it may have been a 15 here. 
Really? Which makes so, uh, I mean, I did, was thinking, is it was it a fifteen or was it a twelve? Because all the gunplay. But that but that makes it really more annoying. to Think you could have got a fucking hard. Case film. fucking lean into it a bit. Uh, MPAA ratings. I'm going to just see what it is in the US. Uh, film ratings, MPMA. I wonder if I can find it on there. Keep talking, guys. I'll find it. <laughs> but okay. yeah, uh, sorry. So uh, yeah, he meets with her, rescues her from that, and then she basically gives him the slip, doesn't she? To start with. <laughs> no, yeah. no, 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 no. Or she thinks she has. No, he thinks. Well, it, it, it's shot like he's like wakes up, and goes. Oh no! Yeah, they go in, in the kind the of like shag. she's gone, and it turns out she's out still there, and he just can't believe it because he's that much in love. I oh, know it's like <laughs> I've still got her. I let you love her. It's like you? oh no, I'm in trouble now. You know. <laughs> um, oh dear. The thing is, as well, I really thought we were going to see them actually shag in her like cut fruit up with a knife. It, this doesn't feel like Bond, but I'm still getting the Die Another Day vibes at this stage. <laughs> it's like, are oh, they instantly really into each other, just like Bond and I Jinx, mean, even though, It's like what they yeah. should have done, though, is they should have just, like, just on that car bit, they should have just simply established, like, a kind of thing, not just go straight for the sex, just kind of like, a, oh, we had a little bit of a moment there. And then and then they get back, you know, he meets... You know, he meets Andy Hopkins. Andy Hopkins reveals the fact that, uh, yeah, we don't really want a fur cat burglar ability. We want to use her to get to Ambrose. And and Ethan Hunt, we go like, well, that's a that's a kind of bit immoral and a bit shitty. I don't quite ever kind of approve of that. You know, so it it they should have just gone with that really. And he's he's kind of put in an awkward situation to go like, well, I don't really like don't agree approve of this, but. You know. Mission Impossible 2, sorry to interrupt, Mission Impossible 2 was a PG-13. Normally it lines up with the 12 rating, but not always. Mm. And every now and again, it will go the other way as well. Like, we, we've said this before, but the longer cut of Batman v Superman was like R-rated, and it was still a 12-year. There was like, uh, it was sold as like the harder cut, and it it, like over here, we still went twelve A, so it doesn't um it doesn't always match up. But it was a fifteen here and a PG thirteen. It's weird, isn't it? You think this is totally not. Which is why they didn't go for it, Chris. Our our sensors saw something in it that they gave it the harder rating. But you know they what? It, 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 it'd, be, it'd be something st- as stupid like as if like the bad guy hitting Tom Cruise in the face with a rock. Oh, it would have been, been yeah. that. Yeah, it'll be I'm... something. Um. So, yeah, um, so she's still there. Hooray. Then what? <laughs> uh, and then uh, then he goes to meet, uh, you know, Anthony. Hey, Hopkins. <laughs> yeah, Anthony comes up and says, hey. <laughs> this is actually... Oh, the, dear. Yeah, then you have like, oh, this is this not uh, mission difficult. This is mission impossible. Difficult to walk in a park for you. Actually, the one line that stuck out here, Becca said there was some, like, misogynistic lines in it. The, one, the only one I noticed, because I wasn't looking for it, was here. Oh, where, like, there's another know, one at the end where he goes, "Oh, women, what well, was it? Was it was few, what? There's a few little to, to, to go to bed with a man and, and, and lie to him. She got yeah. to train mean. She's a woman. <laughs> yeah, in other words, like <laughs> women, in other words, women are dodgy. Is what he's just said. I know, but there's you know, one, but, but you know what? It's along the same lines of like saying, like, yeah, the guys just want sex and they just sleep with any fucker. You know, it's the same sort well, yeah, of stereotypical trope that just you just sort of. Flippantly I say. think what he's saying is she doesn't actually. What they're trying to say, and it's badly written. Yeah, is, it, it really is. Actually, you're saying she's not trained for this. 
all she's actually got to do to sleep with someone. She's female with female organs. She can go and do that. She doesn't need any specific training. But it did come out as like, well, she can behave like a typical woman, which is to do this. It, it, I think it's, a, I think there's a disconnect. I, th- I, 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 I think there's probably like, uh, should we, should we say what, 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 what's, what's the term? Uh, provocative. Element. Yes. I think it's a deliberate attempt to be provocative rather than like. Yeah. Yeah. It's to make it's, it's to make you know it's one but town you know trying to go like oh I'm, I'm I'm edgy and like I'm gonna make people think. Why do you have to Chinatown? It's like this isn't gonna be that edgy, given one of the major plot points in you know Chinatown is you know someone's yeah yeah the mother and daughter the mother daughter sister sister thing yeah, yeah. um okay yeah that's a bit Chinatown's a great film though um oh yeah such a good film. Uh, yeah, it looks beautiful as well. That's the main thing. It just looks phenomenal. You know, just that sort of, well, sort of L.A. noir aesthetic. That... We should do, like, sort of classic like, or noir films, I reckon. That would be really good fun. Uh, you can do it. Anyway. Just obviously, like, suggest what it is rather than just on air randomly going, noir! And it's like, okay, yeah, but what? <laughs> All the westerns. All the way, exactly. That's how we ended up committing to every western ever made. Ever. Yeah. He tells him here that, uh, uh, he said, well, how did you get this guy on the plane then? And he said, well, you were there, effectively. And he, we get a little patronising graphic to show us Ambrose turning into Hunt, even though we saw him pull the mask off earlier. This really is for the fucking slow lane. Really you know what is. I mean? This is the special needs group fucking cut of the film. <laughs> um, yeah, and he's just basically this said... Is, this is what I mean, like, literally every five ten minutes you're hit over the head with a hammer about the dialogue about the plot this is what's happening banks like, oh god really see look ethan's face going on top of his and then you if you're worried about the Never. hair look, the hair adjusts as well it's like we saw this in the first fucking scene but um yeah it's uh it the, the gist is naya has been uh chosen because she's ambrose's ex-girlfriend you need to get her back in with ambrose so we can find out what's going on also does it strike you the fact that Ambrose has literally just turned because it, it, it always struck me the fact that he he's been doing this shit for quite a while. So so like why why is like they've gone like I know we'll just go to um I, I go to this really dodgy guy just because we can't get hold of Ethan Hunt. We'll just get this really dodgy guy to play Ethan Hunt and hope that nothing goes wrong. <laughs> well, he's part he's part of the team. They don't have concerns. But Ethan goes, we had reservations. What did yeah. you think of him? Well, reservations. I think he says reservations about each other, actually. But yeah, yeah Ethan had reservations. So that's yeah. the field. That's the throwaway. Not- notably because he's willing to kill people. Always he's, 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 he likes to sort of have bodies on the ground, which obviously Ethan doesn't tend to want to do. It's just the fact that the film can't explain to us efficiently why they would put their faith in quite a dodgy guy, but we don't also want to be thinking that IMF had absolutely no idea. Mm. It undermines Ethan. So we have Ethan just throw away a remark that I'm not, I wasn't sure about him, to be fair. That was the gist. Yeah. And that's it. We, yeah, we so, never saw eye to eye. That's right. And then he says, send Naya in there because women are dodgy. And then uh, they've, they've basically staged Naya's arrest and well, incarceration, don't they? Mm. 
Yeah. Um, guessing that Ambrose will be watching every line of commute, you know, digital information anywhere and will know about it. So he goes and basically gets her out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we basically just have a montage. We see, like, you know, Naya arrive uh, to, to meet Ambrose. Um, and we have that really sort of slow-mo shot where the scarf kind of, like, throws off. I know, it goes slow-mo for no reason. It keeps going slow-mo. It's like Paul W.S. Anderson. I mean, I mean yeah. I, mean, really it, I mean, I remember at the time watching it in the cinema and that bit where, you know, the, the, the scarf blows off and he catches it. I thought, oh, that's so John Woo. <laughs> that is that that is totally sub. That's totally like him. What what type sort of thing he do? Uh, yeah, and you have um, you yeah. Knock twenty o- minutes off the running time if you knocked all that shit off, though. Yeah, true. Um, and you have even on getting uh, getting this team together and getting. Uh... <laughs> They're awesome. There was just one shot that looked inadvertently a bit like that. Looks a bit dodgy. She goes inside with him, and he says something about our bed, my bedroom, and or and she says our room, or something like that. Yeah. Or it's the other way around. Maybe she says your room, and he goes our room, or whatever. And like Richard Rockbrus, Rockbrus, right there. And I'm thinking, is he going to fucking watch? What's going on there then? But yeah, the implication is she's going to immediately start sleeping with him and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's the film being adult. <laughs> We're all grown ups here. <laughs> where where do you go here? Uh... Um, right, yeah, they've got this. Um, uh, do we get the backstory for um, uh, McCloy next? To Rendon Gleason, because the whole point now is that they're gonna, he's gonna meet him at a horse. Oh no, I think it's a little bit later. They're gonna, they're gonna go to a horse race, yeah. race or a host racing event. You don't go to see one race, yeah. do you? The whole car. Yeah. They, they, they established that they've got like sort of this digital information on on this disc card, like this micro card thing. Yeah, and she's required to get it yeah. off him. Yes, and it's basically how the virus works. It? It's how the virus works. Now, the film actually sells it almost as just like a little graphic of how it intercepts, but I imagine there's more information on it than mm. that. And he's going to meet with the um, head of this company, Biosite, who are develop seem to be developing like antidotes to Chimera. Yeah, I've mentioned it's called Chimera so far. This virus is called Chimera. Um, and it it basically activates after like a twenty hour dormant period in your in your blood. Yeah, and um, yeah, so she's tasked with trying to sneak the sort of steal the. So she's there to be thief as well. She does sort of take the camera off off him and then deliver it to Tom Cruise to make a copy and then put it back, essentially. Yeah, and they try and play up all the tension mm. here, but it's it's neither here nor there really. Mm. It's not that well done, but the whole point is Brendan Gleeson is now involved, and there's a bit of a fallout thing, isn't it? The you know the the, the faker scenario for this guy. Yeah. Coming uh, up. Yeah. So she sneaks it back in his pocket and she puts it in the wrong pocket as yeah. well, and that's the bit I'm not quite but sure he, about. He he, he he yeah he kind of he he kind of notices it. There's like slow mo's face. He kind of like oh yeah. So and and then just plays off like that he hasn't. Um, yeah. So they so yeah so Tom Cruise and Co. spot Brendan Gleeson so they do the Mission Impossible thing where they set up, um, what what where they set they where they do like a fake scenario to get information from Brendan Gleeson. That's right. He gets into like his chauffeur-driven car yeah. and it's immediately locked in. The guy won't answer him and then he's gassed. Yeah. And then he wakes up in what appears to be uh, quarantine. 
like a hospital bed, but it's mm. completely quarantined, and he's told he's been infected with Chimera. And uh, yeah, and it's uh, Boris the sneaky fucking Russian who's supposed to be dead. Yes. That's right, and we do show he was not called. He's not called Boris. Is no, he? I no. Think. I just um, keep referring to him as Boris. He um, shows him what this does, and uh, it basically. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Take, turns, you, turns you slowly into a polar bear or something. <laughs> <laughs> slowly get icy. Yeah. Or well, slowly get very granulated. Well, not granulated, um, pixelated. You get a little bit bloody, a little bit. Um... It looks pretty bad. The very last photo looks pretty good. Yeah. Um, and like 36, all the ones 32 hours or something like that. Sick. It looks pretty bad. Yeah. It was, it was that Russian spy that was poisoned years ago. Oh. Uh, I know who you mean. It happened. Yeah. Not yeah, not not Polonium. Polonium. but further back. It looks a little bit like that. Oh my god! That was with polonium. Yeah, yeah. I mean, terrible. I, I think this virus just sort of like just breaks down your, your blood cells, doesn't it? By 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 the animation, you end up bleeding we out. We do get good. a we do get like a little graphic of it, mm. and it turns out this guy's only really interested in money. He needs to see the virus because yeah. he needs to see what they're dealing with. And he so see it, yeah, it, his whole point is to produce some, you know, to get the virus to actually work out. And uh, meanwhile, uh, we see Tom Cruise again meet up with uh, Nala, who's uh, who who just sort of like, oh, you're supposed to, you know, are you getting me out of here? And I'm um, bloody um, blah, blah, and it turns out to be Sean Bloody Ambrose. Oh, that's it. Yeah, she's going back to the house. He meets yeah. her outside, and it's like Tom Cruise is staking the place out, Ethan. Yeah. And it's not. It's it's Sean Ambrose. Uh, and it's it is like it's like Sean Ambrose has decided he wants to do a for your consideration reel. <laughs> well, because he has that pain face of like the pain, yeah, he goes he like, goes really, he goes really heart he goes melodramatic heartbroken afterwards, doesn't he? Yeah, but doesn't say a lot because he's a stoic man. It's really funny. It's like well done, Stamper. Also, oh, I keep saying say Stamper, he says Stamper. Stamper. <laughs> well done. Well done, you. Well done. Uh, so now they know. So now, now they know, and uh, and then the, the so, other thing is from McCloy. They wanted samples of the yeah uh, antidote, and of course he doesn't have them. They were all taken by the the now dead guy. Mm. So we we've got one of the sort of signatures. We need to break in somewhere and steal something. Yeah, which is like basically the, probably the main part of the mission. You know, um, it to be a little bit of Mission Impossible Three that, largely because yeah. it's at night. So that whole fulcrum scene and stuff like that. Yeah, and jumping through, jumping through an air vent on a, on a yeah. bunch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, which is which is pretty good. Uh, you know, you have the whole setup where we. Well, they have to retract. Yeah, they have to retract. You know, all their equipment quickly, and they only just do it and stuff like that. Mm. It's all right. It's all right. But again. They tr- again, they're trying to play on this dark side of the hero kind of thing because Doug Ray Scott is saying, well, he won't come in through the door. He doesn't want confrontation. He doesn't want to hurt anyone. So he's going to go through the roof. Yeah. Then you cut to Tom, you know, Ethan, I keep doing that. Ethan saying, well, yeah, we, so we need to go in through the roof. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's some degree of anticipation of what Ethan and the team are going to do. Yeah, he's, yeah because um, he's basically they're trying to paint Sean Ambrose as like the evil Ethan Hunt essentially yeah, yeah. well he's even got similar colouring hasn't he yeah and there's like, kind of like uh, yeah well I'll you know I'm willing to kill people 
and that's that, that's probably the key differences really um so he's just like well you know I'll just fuck it I'll just go through the front door and just like just kill the guards don't care <laughs> they should have cast uh, Sean Bean or something for America <laughs> Ethan <laughs> closing time Ethan <laughs> let me a point <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so Ethan like gets nearly the mission completed. Yeah, he and... basically gets dropped into a John Woo action sequence. Yeah, I mean, it it does that stupid thing where he starts like getting reminiscent on the last one for for no reason whatsoever. He gets <laughs> what? Sorry, he gets reminiscent. He starts like thinking about oh, like lost it. Getting getting thinking about his old scientist friend. He probably did. What, what, what last time he was here, and it's like, yeah, just just kill the fucking oh, virus, yeah. Ethan. He's, he's imagining him like working in there. Yeah. Well, you never saw him work there. It's like this. This is this is where he injected himself with the Chimera virus, and do, yeah. it's, you know, it's like just just fucking kill the virus and get it done. You know. Yeah. When you think <laughs> at a similar point in the previous film, he was sat with John Voight, literally working loads of stuff out here, mm. and. Here he's literally just imagining how something must have looked. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, that that's the IQ of the two films yeah. in a fucking nutshell. And then, the, but, yeah, um, and then and then the uh, you know the bad guys show up, and there's just a big shootout. Yeah, which is where I started struggling with the film. This is where it's a little bit better this time. In that I didn't really struggle with it at all till right near the end, where the action sequence literally got self-parodying. But, like, at this point, I remember this is where I was checking out last time. And I was imagining a lot more of the sort of diving with the double guns than is actually in the film. But, um, yeah, there's the, the first sort of showdown between the two, although they're not actually literally looking at mm-hmm. each other. Ethan's hiding from, like, gunfire and shooting people who are sort of trying to come round the side sort of surreptitiously. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, they're explaining to it. And uh, Ambrose reveals he knows Naya's... A plant, and also uh, calls and uh, yeah calls her out. Yeah, and then you know, basically he, he goes to sort of fe- gets her to fetch it. Yeah, and um, and then she does the thing by injecting it into her. Yeah, well, you can't kill her then. Yeah, that's the thing. Can't pass it to her and be shot. And but now she's got the virus in it. Mm. Ethan immediately goes to his watch and sets some sort of timer. Yeah, yeah. she's now got twenty the, the, hours. This is after she sort of tells him to kill to kill her because I'm like, look, just get it done. Kill. No, kill she me. says this. She said she sort of says this afterwards. She she injects it and then it's like, you can't get us both out of here. Just kill me. I'm yeah. infected. And what he actually does is, for, blow out the side of a wall. Another thing that's dying of the day style. Uh, like the um, genetic therapy clinic um, and yeah he just basically says just stay alive in other mm. words we've got 20 hours to figure something out and I can get out yeah I'll, I'll get it in you yeah. why they couldn't have run together I don't know <laughs> I don't, I can't yeah I found that, that really silly I was just like why why there's a big because, open because side of the wall are... here just run together yeah that makes more sense but no no it's impossible apparently yeah. And it's meant to be a tense moment where is he going to shoot her through the heart? And he struggles like he's going to do it. Mm. And it's just like you're, you're forcing attention that's not there. Just yeah, literally it didn't really not work there. Me. I mean, look, my head's saying... Bad, but... And the trouble is, Becca's right. There's some chemistry between the two of them. But they had five minutes together. 
before she yeah. was sent off to infiltrate yeah. Sean Ambrose. So it's like, I've got to kill her, but I love her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to, to me, five did, fucking minutes. this should be like the realise realize a moment when they love both love each other. Yeah. It's not very well done, I admit, but in structure, it's a bit like Bond in the chair, Inspector. It's that moment where yeah. you go, right, we don't know what's going to happen next, let's tell each other how we feel. It wasn't very well done there, because they had and, no chemistry. Yeah. But structurally, and, the way you put it in the film, it's here. Yeah, and also the realisation of, like, you know, I thought you didn't have a conscience. And this kind, and this kind of thing where, like, she... where. I guess I lied. Yeah, and she steps up. Like, also, it's like, shit, she's actually quite, you know, heroic in a, in, in a way. And, and, there's, and there's invested. Sc- yeah. And invested. She's yeah. telling Ethan. He can't shoot her, which must mean, Christ, I do have feelings for her. I don't like killing, but you've yeah. seen me kill people in this film, so there's no reason I couldn't kill her. And she has actually done the right things, which tells him she must have been feeling something for me. Yeah. But of course, we had them shag fucking forty-five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there you go. So uh, yeah, so so that, so, so, so we've just like it. we've just become better writers than Robert Town. How's that feel? Well, what they were supposed to—they they had to attract. They had to do something between them before they sent them off to sent yeah. her off to Ambrose. But because they sent her straight off to Ambrose, uh, they they needed it, so it was tough for tough for Ethan, if you like, and also because she's now in a relationship in inverted commas, yeah. <laughs> with the leading man, we're supposed to care a bit more. So I can see why they did something before she went. Yeah. But if they do that and send her immediately and then they suddenly have this amazing chemistry or, like, you know, love for each other when they had one night together and were immediately parted, that's not, that's nonsense. It doesn't work. But, yeah, so... Um, and then we just basically get... Uh, Ambrose decides to release her on the street to release the virus, even though even though Ethan basically sort of assumes correctly that well she'll just kill herself, so <laughs> don't have to worry about that. We just got to worry about getting the get getting to her getting the virus to her, so she doesn't have to kill herself. Well, yeah, not only that, if you put her absolutely fucking nowhere near like the bad guys, I can just like find her and pick her up. Hopefully, yeah. we're tracking her. We they've made they're tracking the calls. Yeah. So that makes no sense. There's no need for the final action sequence of this film if they've been a bit more on the ball. But like, um, yeah, it, she she's released. The idea is they're going to release her. She'll become go from dormant to active. The virus. She will massive. There'll be a massive outbreak in Sydney, and the stock of the company will go through the roof. And that's what it re- is revealed. Mm. Ambrose wants. He wants stock of McCloy's mm. Brenda Gleason's company, which is it's something like it's never gone above thirty-one dollars per share, and it's going to go well above two hundred. Basically, it'll be worth billions. Yeah, that's the idea. We need an outbreak to stimulate demand for the stimulate demand for the antidote. That's yes. what it is. And there it is. So uh, yeah, Tom, so Tom Cruise, you know, busts in, and. Uh... With a dove. With a dove. I mean, yeah, this, yeah to be fair, John Boot always does use pigeons and doves and all that. Yeah, like, it, it, it is a motif. It's it's meant to symbolise, like, you know, to him, it's like, it's 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 symbolised to, uh, to the quote-unquote evil that good is coming. 
You know, it's that kind of thing. It's that that warning yeah. of like, you know. Oh, oh no, anyway. it just made me think of the David Brent video for "If You Don't Know Me by Now." <laughs> oh my god! Because <laughs> he said he, he he released a dove at the start or, or during. Yeah, that, that was so cheesy. Yeah, but uh, anyway, yes. Yeah, so that's also uh, a great music video. It's brilliant. But uh, yeah, um, and you know his you know a not stamper. Um, <laughs> stamp. <laughs> now, uh, always your Oxford. Right, without breaking this down moment by moment. Obviously, Ethan's going in to try and get Naya and beat the bad guys and all that fucking rest of it. And again, the dove is hilarious because the action sequences suddenly go really ADHD all the way through this. Like, whatever John Woo wants to do at a given moment, he'll suddenly introduce for no rhyme or reason. So you get juddery sequences, juddery bits of action. So the, the dove is slightly like almost like this missing frames. There's like a little judder to it. So that's really weird. Um, is Ethan just carrying a backpack full of masks? It's always bothered me from the first watch. I think not only just masks, but no, exactly. He's got the, the correct voice thing as well. But he also he knows. Well, he doesn't speak as Richard Roxburgh's character. Yeah. He puts uh, he puts something over his mouth, so that's okay. But how did he know it was going to be Richard Roxburgh? How it was going to break down? Who exactly? No, was no, going he, to do, he does speak as Richard Roxburgh because he comes in, but he puts a, a he puts a thing over his mouth so the real um, stamp when couldn't he pulls, speak. When 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 he, the Tom Cruise mask gets pulled off, Richard Roxburgh underneath has his mouth completely covered. He can't have spoken. Yeah, yeah, so, that's what but, I mean. sorry. Yeah, but the point is, how would he have carried? He's he's carried the two masks, so whoever he. When he encounters Stamp, he can put his face on him. Yeah. I don't know. And also... Chance favours the prepared, I guess. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So, obviously, he shoots Ethan, in inverted commas, several times, mm. uh, Doug Ray Scott, and kills him. But it's not. It's Stamp. And then, Tom, and then Stamp runs down the corridor to rip off the mask to find it's Ethan, right? Yeah. But the way they cut it together, they haven't accounted for the height difference. Which is only about three inches. I did look this up, but like he runs around a corner, rips off the mask, and suddenly shrinks three inches within between <laughs> two frames. It's absolutely like that is bordering on fucking incompetent. Uh, it's just like that is just the the only way you could have shot it where it would have been a problem. They have, and as we're about to launch into like some really piss poor action, into or certainly the style stylizing of it, I hate. Um, yeah, the film I check out of the film around now. Well, yeah, because you have you know it's basically just just action scene. I mean, you got like Big Rames getting pissed off that they punched a hole in his Versace. You know, yeah, so, he gets very pissed know. off about that. But it's like okay, yeah, okay, fine, fair enough, Big Rames. So I understand like getting a bit annoyed that you know you design shoes getting off a helicopter because you don't quite know which where you, where quite you're going to be landing. But you know you you're on a like a combat mission. Why are you wearing your designer shit here? Like why? Yeah, exactly. that. There is nothing it's, it's about. Like at the start it. of the film, when they go to the the Australian house, it's kind of like a, you know these eight hundred dollar Gucci shoes or yeah. whatever. It's like why are you wearing them to this? You know, the Australian outback. I mean, What's I mean, going on there? his character does like to wear designer stuff, and you think he can see that mm-hmm. in the first film. He's pretty, yeah. he's dressed pretty fly, but do you think so in certain situations why are you why are you wearing your like your your best fucking jacket or whatever? Yeah. Now I know also there's a, a, a conceit in all of these things that like as long as you run quite quickly bullets won't hit you. I, I know all that. 
but it's really exaggerated in this. I mean, they, when they're shooting straight at Ving Rhames in the helicopter and he leans back a couple of inches to avoid it. It's just really funny, just the way this is staged. And I'm, I'm supposedly watching an action master and I'm just going, that's fucking laughable. Yeah. Um, and then the whole sequence from now on with bikes and God knows what else, it reminded me of watching like... I remember when I was a kid, I don't know if it was Why Don't You or something like that, but I certainly remember watching some kids' TV show where they decided to put like kids on doing various sports and BMXing was really popular when I was young. Yeah. It, this looked like BMXing. I like, loved BMX when I was little. Yeah, I was like that, in the mid-80s. <laughs> yeah, it, it, but on motorbikes instead. The, the stunts here are like not that exciting. And just the things they've let through quality control, like Tom Cruise fires backwards without looking, which is hilarious, but he shoots out like the little sort of, uh, the little bit of sort of plastic on the front of the bike. You know, yeah, the it, wouldn't, it wouldn't really happen in real life, would well, it? it? Yeah, but even if it did, it wouldn't form such a like perfectly fucking carved out bit of, it just looks really, really false. And there's a, yeah, there's, there's a bit where he sort of jumps over a fence on the bike. And he stays in the air too long. Like they've ex- they've exaggerated this. They've used some CG to stretch that jump out, and it looks like someone's literally grabbed it and moved it along a few frames. It just looks really bad. And of course, when they as soon as they get off the bike and start fist fighting, it slows down in random places. It speeds up in random places. Um, they're telegraphing the when you slow it down all you do is telegraph the choreography like there's bits where there's a bit where tom cruise leans back to allow himself to be put in a headlock and there's a bit where he does a sort of flying kick at um doug ray scott and doug ray scott is already falling backwards before the kick gets to him because it was all done at like real speed and then slowed Mm. down and I just think the film is just absolutely shit the bed. And every now and again, it cuts to show us some like foamy fucking waves. And it's like, this is madness. And also, I thought the virus was either dormant or it wasn't. Why is Tandy Newton starting to look ill? Yeah, does that make you mind it? Which is it? So the third act of this film is absolute utter shit. <laughs> it's like at, at the end of it, basically, where he's like, oh, it turns out she didn't have the virus. And he's like, oh, yeah, I figured that. I was like, hmm. Well, yeah, no, he, just, do, I, he, he does inoculate it, doesn't he? Well, he Not does, I know. But I just kind of think it's a bit just... It's like really badly written, unfortunately. Yeah, but I love that. They're about to get on the helicopter and it was like... He suddenly goes... Whoa! And up with the gun <laughs> off the floor. The only place that's ever worked is Casino Royale. And I honestly thought, catch the bullet and throw it back at him. Go on. Be that yeah, literally go on, do it. Be brave. <laughs> and all the time we've Do got it. silly fucking elevator music playing, you know. It's just, yeah. Didn't like this. Yeah, he he does the bad guy thing of like of go. You should have killed. Well, you could have just shot him that time. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, he could have stabbed him at one point and chooses not to. Um, but there you go. The kicking yeah. the gun in the air and then diving is ridiculous. And it wasn't that point I was like, the first time I do remember thinking, there's way too much diving in this film. Like, given the, that character's really never done it since. But there you go. And then, yeah, so he, he, he cures her. And then they go off for some romance after he talks, he goes to see Anthony Hopkins, who's like, hey! <laughs> <laughs> I you 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 instructed to bring bring back the virus. Yeah, destroy it by fire. Okay, fair enough. Well, uh, 
I guess you. I, I guess you're going on vacation. I was like, I'll tell you where. I'll tell you where we're going. Well, don't bother. We'll be vacation if you did. Yeah, which is <laughs> a recurring joke because he tells him off. Yeah. When they gives him his mission earlier on, like tell us where you are next time, and then when he actually sees him in person, he said, "No, nah, wouldn't have expected you to tell me." In other words, I had to be seen to be saying that, but don't. And here he says, "Don't." And they go for a little walk. Oh, then they meet up again, which is another thing where the world seems to slow around yeah. them while they have a long, lingering look at each other. Um, yeah, that, that and they time, just disappear into the crowd. Yeah. Credits. Yeah. I just think. I I I want to go go and listen to some Limp Biscuit now, because I'm a cool motherfucker. That does seem like someone of a certain age, not old by any means, but someone of a certain age picking what they think will be like with it and cool and like kids will like. I just think like lean into your fucking age. To be honest with you, you'll either find an audience or not. And Mission Impossible doesn't actually track track that well with very very young men anyway Macquarie said that in interviews um you know if I chase that audience I'm onto a bit of a loser to be honest with you um which is why he talks about decisions in fallout where it tracked a certain way with like men and a certain way with women and by and large he chose the let's go that let's actually go that way because that audience I've either got or I won't get anyway um yeah so that's it, and it stands out wildly from the rest of the series. I mean, final thoughts, I'm not going to add very much. I'm, I'm literally going to say, uh, for an action genius, the action in this is terrible. I don't know how much of that is the way it's edited, but the stylistic ticks just piss me off. It's just like, yes, we know you're John Woo. You don't have to keep reminding us every two minutes. Just pop into the corner of the shot and fucking wave if you're that <laughs> desperate for us to fucking know it's you. Um, I've never heard worse from Hans Zimmer. I just think this is just like, he's just noodling around half the time. You know, let's just play it and shred a little bit of guitar. Um, and it's just, it, it's altogether a little bit too serious for what it is. Mm. Largely because it's led by a man who, although he's done a couple of comedic things like Tropic, Tropic Thumber, Thunder, Tom Cruise takes his work seriously. And so this was never going to have a nodding, winking tone that might have underpinned it a little bit. Doug Ray Scott could have been in any, although this is a very naughty film, Doug Ray Scott could have been in any 90s film with a sort of Euro trash villain. Um, I don't know what Richard Roxburgh is doing. I'm no expert on the South African accent, but that sounded awful. He's in a different film altogether. Um, he, he, but apart he, he's in Lethal Weapon 2 territory. He really is. Yeah, but I actually thought I was in danger of... I, I seem to remember the first time I saw it, I was struggling to t- stay awake. I got through this all right, actually. So I don't want to exaggerate. It's the weakest film in the series from memory. By a distance, actually, it's not particularly difficult to say that. But if this is the worst thing the series ever produces, we're not in a bad place. That's it's not mission difficult, it's mission impossible. What do you think, Becca? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Becca. Say how you feel. Well, stick go the on. knife in. Go on. Give it. Give it. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I, if you had a kind of introduction to John Woo movies, you wouldn't show them this. That that's all I have to say on the subject. Well, I, I'd never have watched another John Woo movie. This was. Well, like... so if this is my if this is my introduction to how he makes movies, I'd be like, what the hell? But no, I think for me, in terms of um, yeah, as I said, I, I largely agree with Chris on this one. Definitely is. Um, I can kind of see where they where they went wrong, and 
there's very much a battle between the studio and, and director about this one. Um, for me, I, I would say I'd agree with you, David. It's probably I think from here on in the films get better. I mean, obviously they rank it in various ways, but luckily from here on in, I do think the films are improved. Um, really looking forward to next week. Really looking forward to next week. Um, but yeah, this one would kind of rank bottom of the pile for me. Um, it's a decent, decent, decent action flick. Um, very naughty's action flick. Not a naughty action flick, but a naughty's action flick. Um, but yeah, just let down by a really Hans Zimmerless Hans Zimmer score. I really don't get it. It's like the same with last with last week as well. It's like okay, so you've got another big name doing the score, and it doesn't sound anything like you, you would expect from them. The same this time around. Um, it's it's a real kind of flavourless score for me, I would say. Um, and yeah, Lip Biscuit is very dated, very dated. Um, so yeah, just just a just a mess from beginning to end, really. Slim Biscuit rocking your set, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't really disagree. This is definitely the weakest one. Um, if you're gonna watch John Woo films, I say you know, watch Hard but Hard Boiled first, and then move on to The Killer. Yeah, um, hard boiled or. Um, I'm going to go and find a, a, a download tomorrow, of it. Now, I, I keep promising to do this and I keep forgetting, so I will go and find a download yeah. of one of those films now. Yeah, so, yeah, carry on. Yeah, yeah, I'd probably say to West Noises, hard boiled is probably the most accessible to watch because it's probably the most probably the most westernised uh, film anyway, and, and the action in it is just right. great. Um, but given I'm not general audiences in that way, which one would you say to me? I'd, I'd say start with Hardboard. Okay. Uh, yep. the, the, the killer does have the, it, it does have probably like the the I won't say sort of romantic story, but it does have like a nice sort of you know killer with a conscience angle, you know. It, um, and but and the violence is just really over the top and ballistic. But it works better in a different tongue, you know. Do you know what I mean? So it's. Yeah, uh, but I did read somewhere that John Woo is remaking the killer in yeah, the English yeah. language. Uh, which is interesting. But, uh, yeah, I've heard Walter Hill's doing it a while back, but anyway, yeah. Uh, anyway, anyway, yeah, both have Chan Wing Fat in it as well, you know, before he came over to America as well. Yeah. So um, I'll find I'll find one of them and watch them. But anyway, carry on, Chris, yeah. sorry. Anyway, yeah, so yeah, this is the weakest mission of possible film. Uh it's it's new to John Will. John Will. It's neutered uh, John Woo, but it's probably John Woo not working at his best. Uh, Tom Cruise is great, but everything's just... I think everything's just, like, just not quite gelling, and not everything's working as well as it, it wants to. And, you know, I didn't hate it, and and I think I kind of got on by not, like, you know, really disliking it by... By seeing what everyone else was going for and seeing the effort that that, that people were putting in, and it's like I can kind of see, uh, but I just something about this just does not work, and um, yeah, I think it suffers from being that year of uh, of a year that hasn't dated very well in terms of style and and you know just <clears throat> when you go through these films, you do see how many little micro eras there are. Yeah. I remember when we did Rocky and I said Rocky five could only have been made like 89 to 91. Mm. Like there are enough changes that even by the time you get to 92, some of the decisions and looks and stuff in that film don't fit at all. And 91, for example, where you've got Terminator two 
is set. I know we've had this conversation. We'll have it again later in the year. But Terminator Two set in nineteen ninety four actually, and when you look at it, it doesn't work. Public Enemy shirts yeah. and stuff like that. Um, there's loads of little micro eras that you don't notice till you start going through films, and you think that couldn't have been made even two years later. No, you couldn't make it any other any other time. Mm. It's very much of its time, isn't it? This is one of those <clears throat> time capsule movies. So you want to get a flavour of, of what you know what the cinema going public was up to in uh, in 2000. This is film that's going in that box. I did notice the one thing I did notice is early in the film Tom Cruise was in shit eating grin mode, and that was <laughs> that was common to this stage of his career. I remember in Vanilla Sky, which I think is a wildly underrated film. Mm. Um, I know that's a term a lot of people don't like, but yeah, it it just it it just is. And when I when I say terms like that, I just mean according to like general consensus, general public consciousness. Well, that film is barely in public consciousness now, and when it did come out, it was considered widely as like a bit disappointing. And I just remember thinking it was a really smart, clever film, and I think it's actually better than its original because uh, it's a yes, it's one of those few films. films I think I would probably be in a little bit of agreement with you. But I think it's one of yeah. those rare films where it's better better than. Yeah, because they make they do make a couple of different decisions, but early in that film, David Ames, the character's called, which is always a good sign when I can remember the name of a Tom Cruise character, because it's 17 years ago and I've not seen it in 10 years, but David Ames is his character in that film, and he's got a really annoying grin in the first half hour of the film, but he's meant to be a bit of an entitled twat anyway, but that was seeping into Ethan here. Yeah, yeah, the two do kind of mesh together. So you, you kind of agree with the villain here, where he's like, when, when he's like sort of like saying, like, grinning like an idiot every fifteen seconds. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that line stuck. That line stuck to me, and I'm thinking, do, is Tom Cruise mm. self-aware to know that somebody's written that almost as a dig at him? Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. Um, but you know, I didn't hate it. You know, whatever. It's just very throwaway and just a bit kind of cliche and a bit out of time. But anyway. It's, it's, not, it's not good, but I, I had a better time with it this yeah. time than, you know, last time. So without yeah. question, because I struggled to get through it the first time. Yeah, should should have yeah. should have been starring Ben Stiller as Tom Cruise, <laughs> doing Blue Steel. We'll post that in the week, but just for anyone who doesn't get to see it, what what is it again? Oh, there was an MTV uh, sketch that was like centered around the film, and it was like Ben Stiller playing uh, Tom Cruise's like stunt double. Yeah. And he just like you know it it is basically sort of like like that like he he just constantly just turns up regardless whether he's invited or not, um, and um, yeah it's like it's like the we you know I know how Tom Cruise is just how he is like he always never speaks ill of anyone, and it's mm. just it's just one of the things where he yeah he's great he's he's harmless he's harmless he's he's harmless you know he, to, like Tom Cruise is struggling to come up with things to nice things to say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it is kind of amusing, and you do get a bit of uh, John Woo, who does surprisingly bit of acting com- comedy as well. Um, I haven't seen the whole thing yet. I just had to look at it to get the feel of it. Yeah, it's like I'll watch that before I post it. It feels very—I don't even know what I mean by this because I won't have seen one of them in years. But it, it it feels quite appropriate for like the MTV Video Music Awards oh, or definitely. movie awards, yeah. or whatever. It's the sort of thing they do. Yeah. Yeah. But, okay. Yeah. Well, I, I find the problem is we sit here and we make all these judgments, Chris. Yeah. And there's nothing worse, really, when you think you, you come across as clueless. It's like people who think they know what they're talking about just because yeah. they've seen one or two films. And we're sat here, like, talking like we know about, like, music and cinematography. To be honest, what do I know about this film? I know nothing. fuck all. 
nothing. Um, and that's worrying, really. What's more worrying is we get through two hours of bullshit before we realise we know nothing every week. Got our format a bit back to front there. But anyway, Becca. Yeah, we covered a lot of the factage as we discussed the movie. Um, so a bit of a mixed bag. So, yeah, this is the only film um, so far, so good, in the series where Ethan Hunter actually works for the IMF team. But the other two films, the other two films, the other films, either disavowed or on the run or going rogue. Yeah. So yeah, it's so the first time we actually see him do work for IMF. Um, fun fact number two. Will we be saying that next year about Bond? Fucking hell, he just did a job. Bloody hell, he's actually done a job. He's done his mission. Oh my god, fall yeah. off our chair. No, I think next film he's going to go rogue. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to happen. Well, well, to be fair, he's he's out, so he can't really go rogue, can he? Yeah, but does he come <laughs> back into the role before he starts work? Is he actually, you know? Or it'll we'll be Lashana um, Lynch, and she'll go rogue. We'll have a conversation about that another time. Anyway, fun fact number two. Um, <laughs> I don't know how it compares to next week with the epic face-off, um, but <laughs> obviously this TV series Mission Impossible was known for its quite revealing moments. Their characters peel back their mask to reveal who is underneath. And this film has the highest proportion, the highest amount of mask wearing in the Mission Impossible movies so far. That surprises me. And something it's something they don't rely on as much as the series goes on. Um, but I noticed in these early movies, it's not a standout thing in this. I believe you, but it's just not a standout thing. I, I'd no, each, each character does it at least twice. Okay, that sounds a bit rude. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and now I yeah, I gave up all my Mission Impossible facts and thought, oh, let's find out some fun facts about Sydney. Okay. Um, so yeah, the Sydney Final Web Spider is the, among the most deadliest on Earth. If you get bitten, it can kill you within 15 minutes. Um. Sydney Harbour Bridge is the largest, no, it's not, it's the widest, a long span bridge and the tallest steel arch bridge. And my favourite of the Playboys. <laughs> That's an extra fun fact. Um, and my fun fact number five the Sydney Tower was the tallest structure when it was built and when it opened in 1981, um, but it's actually now the second tallest freestanding building in Australia. So, yeah, if you've been to Australia, let us know what it was like. Drop us an email, tweet us, Facebook us. Send us a postcard, because I would like to go. Yeah, that won't, a postcard won't get you there, though. No, I know, but I can imagine. I'd, I'd like to go <laughs> for, for those spiders that kill you in 15 seconds. I'm like, <laughs> no, thank you. 15 minutes, do they need the whole 15 minutes? Do they have to work on you for 15 minutes? They're, they're, or... they're quite busy for that 15 minutes. Yeah. Or is it, you know, they do one thing and then bugger off and have a drink? <laughs> No, it's a country that I would like to visit, but I probably wouldn't be able to go outside hoping like, oh, there's snakes or, you know. I think the only thing I would say is that learning that about spiders has not really enhanced my enjoyment of Mission Impossible 2. Well, that's not good, what will? In, in and of itself, not yeah. really. But other than that, that's fun, folks. More fun facts coming next week. But about a different film. Um... Looking forward to next week, actually, because it's where this sort of series oh, picks up a bit. But yeah, um, I, we are through like this. feels like a major thing. We've got like the worst one out of the way. I'm glad we've done like a bad film for a while because we did so much Marvel where we were like, this isn't bad, is it? Yeah, this, it, it's, it's all right. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. Every fucking week. 
a, yeah, mi- right, yeah. a minor rant about fucking Doctor Strange, but even then it wasn't wildly over the no, top. No, even then it was like, yeah, it's all right. Nice to get a film that I genuinely think is not, not very good, even though we have covered... Fu- I think it's worth stressing a couple of things. Firstly, I'm no great... I'm not that knowledgeable on John Woo, so I'm happy to accept he's better than this. Well, Chris is our um, um, action junkies expert. But I'm, So I'm happy to accept he's a lot better than this, um, and also we've done a lot worse. It stands out in a very good series. That's all. But, you know, this isn't Batman and Robin or something. Yeah. We've done far dumber... It's not Die Another Day. ...see films. But it has got this element of trying too hard. It's just trying too hard. But anyway, that's Mission Impossible 2, folks. Social media, you can find me at the Pasty Kid 1976 on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at You can also find all, all, all of the episodes at cinematronics.co.uk. We are working on everything else, I promise. But in the meantime, you can find us on the usual places on social media. Um, on Twitter, at Expect Us to Talk, and also on Facebook, Expect Us to Talk. And you can drop us an email, expectustalk at gmail.com. And also on YouTube, type in the handle, Do You Expect Us to Talk? And all our lovely videos shall magically appear. As if by magic. And there magic we are, folks. into webs. We did it. The main thing is... <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thank God for that. I, I was worried just because I struggled to get through it on my first viewing. I was genuinely... like, And I'm talking years ago. I, th- I have a feeling I either fell asleep or nearly fell asleep. Because dull action, you might as well... It might as well be paint dry, drying. But anyway, it gets better, doesn't it, Becca? I can't wait. Yes, I'm happy to report that... Do you expect us to talk or return with our review of Mission Impossible 3?